Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Sorry, <laughs> forgot to adjust my chair. <laughs> get all the, I have the normal routine I go through, but it's Monday morning, so I'm always going to forget something. Like I just realized my, my water container, my stainless steel water container is not quite full. So, you know, we'll see how far I get. I'm going to have to take a commercial break and dash across and take care of that. But uh, this is such improvised radio. It's, it's, it's like it's okay. Uh, you know, whatever we seem to get away with here. We, 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 oh, there we go. So I'm adjusting the microphone. That even sounds better. Okay, good. So it works better that way. It, it's, an angle, it's a Yeti blue mic, so I have to get the right angle uh, on all that kind of stuff. And I keep adjusting it, and my chair pops up and down. But those are, those are just the, the little technical details that make radio so much fun. We had, oh, my God, last week, like gangbusters. We had all these amazing guests all at once. And this week, we have nobody. So uh, hopefully, you'll stay with us for this week. But we get a chance to talk about what happened last week. And so Wednesday, we had Jeff Childers, uh, who's an attorney. He's in Gainesville, Florida. He got the, the mask mandate overturned there by simply asking, you know, some pretty straightforward questions. I don't think we got to the actual case. We had so much else to talk about. But I know he maneuvered them into, and I'll see if I can go through the argument myself. He, he, he says, the government never testifies uh, on the effectiveness of the masks, you know, which is quite fascinating. So they mandate them, but they don't, they don't say if they work. Same thing with the, the, when anything he's done with vaccines. He says, they never talk about it, whether they're effective or not. They, they don't say that. They just say, they just say they mandate it because it's a public health measure and they can. So I think it was that um, he did, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. We're not starting off well this morning at all. Um, well, maybe I got a cold or something coming on. Who knows? It's it's is it that time of year? Spring colds? I guess so. Anyway, who knows? Um, but uh, the way I'm trying to figure this out in my head as to how exactly he worked it out. But he got them to to uh, it's like one of these catch twenty two questions. You know, do the masks work? Well, uh, you know, or what it was? Do the vaccines work? Or I gotta have to I'll have to go back and research it because I know he worded it really carefully and really and it was funny. Uh, it's funny the way the contradiction worked. You know, why do you need masks? You know, if uh, if they don't work. Uh, I think that's what it was, because I know they, they used to say on the box, you know, does not uh, prevent uh, virus transmission. You know, if it says it does not, you know, prevent virus transmission, how can you mandate them for our virus? <laughs> you know, it, it, was, it was one of those kind of things. Um, so that was pretty complicated. So that was, well, that was actually kind of funny. But that's how that worked out. So that one, and then we had Rebecca Hardy, who's one of my favorite folks here from, uh, from Texas. And she was talking about uh, Texans for Vaccine Choice. And all the legislation they have and all the good work going on. So the tide has turned. The, the resistors now outnumber the compliant. Uh, I am convinced of that. Or at least the resistors are large enough in number that were loud enough um, to sort of, you know, exceed the compliant. Because it, it didn't used to be that way. The, the compliant completely overruled resistors. And so I, I did a show on this, you know, probably two years ago. You know, I said this battle is going to be between the resistors and the compliant. And the compliant were winning. You know, they were going along with the schools being closed and they were keeping their kids home and they, uh, you know, and then, and then they went back to the government schools rather than just starting a homeschool. Although a lot of people did. Uh, the, the, the business, they, they complied and closed up. and We're all staying open. Screw you. You can't get closed down. This is a flu bug that, you know, affects less than 1% of the population. So, no, no, we're not going to close. 
And so these are the kind of things. So the compliant, you know, the the, uh, the Karens, as we hear the term, you don't hear the term Karen as much anymore because the Karens have gone away. They're not screaming at people hysterically like, uh, I guess the term was banshee for those who want to look it up. But uh, people, but the Karens were screaming at people who, went, especially up in the Northeast, where they really don't understand uh, freedom. <laughs> I know I used to live there. Uh, they used to understand freedom, you know, back in the 1700s, but they certainly don't understand it now. And so they would scream and yell at people, you have to wear a mask, we're all going to die. Uh, no, if you wear a mask and it works, then uh, uh, then nobody, you know, it's like well, maybe that was the argument that Jeff was making. That if it's voluntary, if you want to wear a mask, it's fine. But uh, you know, why would you mandate it on on uh, somebody else? You know, if they work. So maybe that was the argument. Like I said, I have to go back and check this. So if masks work, then you don't have to mandate them because those who want to wear them will. If they work, if they don't work, then mandating them isn't gonna, isn't going to do anything. So if you're mandating a mask that doesn't work. You know, that's stupid. If you're mandating a mask that does work, then you don't have to mandate it because the people that want to wear it will and they'll be protected. If they're not being protected and the masks don't work, then there's no reason to mandate it either. So either way, there's no reason to mandate it. If they work, people who want to wear it will. And if they don't work, uh, there's no, you know, people, you know, who still want to wear it will. <laughs> no, but they'll do it for psychological reasons, not because it works. But either way, there's no reason to mandate it. You know, in fact, there's no reason to mandate it anyway because it's still our body, our choice. Uh, Fourth Amendment, you know, seizure of your person. But that was kind of interesting. I think that was the argument. So I'll, I'll, I have to go back and check with Jeff on that. But I want to get back in touch with him anyway because he talked about, and this is really cool, uh, is to give him uh, an off-the-air briefing. So we're going to do a Zoom call with uh, also Diane Warner, who does our election integrity report because of her bill, her Florida election integrity bill. Uh, and I want to talk to him about, Jeff, about uh, product liability vaccine product liability, and big tech censorship. It won't take long, but if he can get that. And then he goes to the Atlanta conference, which I think is at the end of March or the third week in March, which is a, um, uh, a, a lawyer's conference on how to deal with all the COVID legislation. Well, the co- I mean, COVID uh, lawsuits, excuse me. But, and that'll be a whole lot easier to be easier to deal with if uh, they have vaccine product liability legislation. Because once that goes in, then it shouldn't be any problem um, to, to get, you know, huge lawsuits against uh, big pharma just the way they did against big tobacco. And I want to research. That's, that's where my, you know, some of my background research projects is to understand how the fight was taken to big tobacco. Nothing good comes from smoking. You know, you, you know, would I stop people from smoking? No. Would I stop them from smoking in public? Yes. <laughs> you know, because it affects me. And I, I quite frankly, I, I grew up, you know, not being able to stand cigarette smoke. Um, and so my family, you know, my parents smoked and it's like, oh, I always hated it. It just made me sick. So I never smoked, you know, it was never something that, uh, interested me ever, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but you, you know, in public it's different. Okay. But cause it's not a right, it's not a right to, to puff smoke into the air as opposed to the right to keep and bear arms, which is a right, which the government can't prevent, uh, even though they try to, and they do, uh, by, you know, use of other guns, <laughs> you know, so the government uses the very guns that, that were guaranteed, uh, that the government won't touch uh, to take away a right to touch a right that they can't touch. It's quite fascinating how this all works. Anyway, so that's psychology. So getting back to Jeff, so we're going to get him hopefully with those, and we get those laws in. Now, Robert Malone, Dr. Robert Malone was on Friday, and he said something really interesting. In fact, I'm going to go over his whole interview and, and take more. I took like three pages of notes during his interview, and there's a bunch more I need to take after, uh, go back to it. He talked about uh, layers of indemnification. And this is something I'm going to ask Jonathan about. So what he was saying was that even if we change the law, uh, where it says in the two places in law, vaccine manufacturers shall not be liable um, in a civil lawsuit, and we changed it to vaccine manufacturers shall be fully liable. So it's changing two words. 
But it makes all the difference. It's a 180-degree turnaround. From not liable to fully liable is all the difference in the world. And then he says they have all these layers of indemnification and other things that they still won't be liable. I need to look into that because if the law changes, what are these indemnifications based on? And if they're based on the law, uh, then once the law changes, the indemnifications change too. But this is one of those technical legal questions, having not been to law school, that I don't know, but I can certainly you know, work through mentally and try and figure out. So that was interesting. Then he said a, a couple of other things. Uh, he was talking about uh, the future. The, the future is decentralized. Is, uh, the, it's, it's basically the three ways out of a parallel structure, although he only mentioned the third one, uh, three ways out of a mass psychosis. Excuse me. I'm still not organized yet. <laughs> Too many thoughts in my head from, from last week. And uh, there's a bunch of stuff circling around in my brain. I'm trying to all sort out because we, we just got so much information in. You need to go over last week's shows. And uh, if you haven't heard them, then the, especially the, the hour with Jeff, the hour with Rebecca, and the hour with uh, Robert Malone. Um, but uh, I'll have to see how that indemnification works and whether the changing of the law makes a difference. I'll ask Jeff uh, Childers. You know, that's, that's more his, his ballpark being a lawyer uh, as opposed to Robert Malone being a doctor. But he's a smart guy. <laughs> he's a real smart guy. Uh, and he covered a bunch of different areas. But he talked about mass psychosis with uh, Joe Rogan, who I also hope to be on with at some point. And both he and Peter McCullough and some other people have talked about mass psychosis. Mass psychosis, um, actually, you know, let me pull it up because this would be a good time to discuss it before we get to some of our other issues. I try to keep these things around just for these occasions. Four components of mass psychosis. Here you go. All right. See, you know, I'm organized. And I know I don't sound it many times, but it's true. I actually organized. So Peter McCullough, I was on Joe Rogan. Peter McCullough talked about us. The four components of mass psychosis, groupthink as related to the COVID hoax. And I, I call it the government COVID hoax because uh, the virus was definitely not a hoax, but the response to it was. Uh, in other words, gets you to take a vaccine that you don't need. And somewhere in that interview, Robert Malone said that the vaccine was never needed. And he was the inventor of it. Now, I'm going to find it. And I'm going to find the exact minute mark, and I'll find out exactly what he said. I'm like 99% sure, but just in case, you know, because if I don't, I like to verify 100%. So I'm positive he said it, but <laughs> I just want to confirm Anyway, but I'm pretty sure he said that vaccine, uh, the vaccine was never necessary. And he was the inventor of it. He was the inventor of the, uh, of the messenger RNA vaccine and sort of explained how it worked and some other things. What an amazing hour, uh, even if I never have him on again. And I hope to, but uh, he's so busy that I don't want to bug him again. That was, that, was, that, was, that was quite incredible. So he says, so the four components of mass psychosis. One, must be a period of prolonged isolation. And, of course, for COVID, that was the lockdowns, the stay-at-home orders, the beach closures, the school closures, the building, you know, the, uh, the business closures, all those things. So first thing, a period of prolonged isolation, okay, because isolation makes fear because you're not in contact with other people. It's easy to go crazy when you're by yourself. That's why solitary makes people crazy because they have no basis. They have no, we're, we're, we're um, you know, we are a societal uh, organism. <laughs> you know, people are, are social. You know, we talk to other people, and that's how we keep our sanity. You know, because they go, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a crazy thought. Oh, yeah, I guess that's a crazy thought. You know, but if you're by yourself, you can make up anything, right? So the second one is must be a period of time taking away things people used to enjoy. And, of course, that would be restaurants, travel, recreation, beaches, parks, maybe even school. Uh, and, of course, a lot of people love their work if they have their own business, especially, you know. So all those – and they, oh, they love the, the, uh, the money they earn to be able to do the things they enjoy. So first of all, you isolate people, then you take away the things they enjoy. Um, the third component of a mass psychosis is there must be constant, incessant, free-floating anxiety. <laughs> okay. Excuse me. Once again. Oh, boy. I should, take, I should mute myself for these. I'm sorry. Free-floating anxiety. Then he says, news. Then I, then I had, because uh, I related this all to COVID, right? So where was the anxiety? News, propaganda, censorship, 
you know, death uh, reports, going to case reports, graphs, passport, you know, vaccine passports, you know, demonization, all that other stuff, conformity, guilt, pressure, you know, all that. Constant, incessant, free-flowing anxiety. And the fact that Dr. Fascist used to speak, uh, Malone got a chuckle over me calling him Dr. Fascist. Wouldn't it be funny if they all started calling him Dr. Fascist? That would be funny. Anyway, so, uh, but he talked about uh, um, the anxiety and he talked about the, the passports. He talked about all, the, all this kind of stuff. And then the last one, and this is the key to a mass psychosis, there must be a single solution offered by an entity in authority. That would be Dr. Fascist. Everybody has to take the vaccine, even though it's not a vaccine, and you don't have to take it, you know. Um, and so then that's the whole story. So how do you fight that kind of stuff, all right? Well, there's, there's three ways you fight a mass psychosis, and Robert Malone talked a little bit about this. In the end, the very last thing he said was that our solution out of this is our founding documents, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And we need to follow those as, you know, as written, not as, as made up as people are interpreting today. So the cure for mass psychosis first is the truth. Speak it as far and wide as possible, regardless of the opposition. Uh, it's stronger than their lies. So that's, I'm, these are all notes of mine I took probably two years ago. So the truth, the first weapon against the mass psychosis is truth. And you're going to pay a price for it, you know, until the resistors uh, are in sufficient number that people sort of verify your truth. It's like, how come you don't know that? Everybody knows that. You know, the, the vaccine wasn't needed. Start putting that out there, you know, rumored to conspiracy theory to truth. <laughs> I think that's the pathway. The next one is ridicule. Uh, tyrants and dictators have virtually no sense of humor, <laughs> ain't that the truth, uh, but are extremely vulnerable to public ridicule uh, much more than organized opposition. And so this is why we make fun of all these people all the time. Um, and uh, this is why we'll, we'll get to Scott Adams in a, in a little while later. Scott Adams of Dilbert uh, apparently made some comments that uh, a lot of you know, guilty white people don't like, so they've canceled him. Guilty white people are one of the biggest problems in this country. And they really are. Because you're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> you know, um, because they're, well, I'll tell you briefly what happened. There was a poll that came out that uh, 47% of black people don't think it's okay to be white. Well, as if, you know, I, as if us white people, you know, need their opinion. <laughs> we don't, okay? But I don't like speaking in terms of group anyway. I don't need anybody's permission to be white, okay? I don't need anybody's permission or, or approval to, to say that my life's okay. I don't care. If you don't approve of my life, that's your problem, not mine. I approve of my life. Okay, so I don't need that. I don't feel any, any guilt for being white. You know, certainly I came to this country as a minority of one. You know, I told the story that the, the, uh, the white kids didn't like me because I had an Australian accent and I was weird and different. Uh, black kids didn't like me because I was white and they're all being bussed from Boston, you know, to this little suburban, you know, white town of Lexington. This is in Massachusetts. Uh, so, so they weren't too happy. <laughs> Nobody was happy, right? And then I show up on the scene. I said, this is America? This is a weird place. Anyway, point being, as a minority of one, you know, I had to, uh, I had proven my own existence because apparently nobody else did. <laughs> so, and that, that's why I never feel guilt. Because when you're, when you're a minority of one and you're the only person, you know, on the planet approving of you, because my folks didn't, <laughs> they just didn't. You know, I, was, I don't know why I was, how I got into that family. So, so friends, you know, I made some eventually, but not at first. It took a while because nobody approved. Nobody thought my, you know, me existing was, was okay. So you had that kind of thing. I mean, I, this is going to sound arrogant. There are people who would have committed suicide. Um, with what I went through coming to this country, uh, you know, the bullying, the problem, the hassles, the, uh, the absolute ridicule, everything else that happened. Uh, in fact, I don't even want to tell those stories. <laughs> but the point is that, uh, you know, you survive that. Of course, that was never an option. I didn't, didn't even think about that. I just knew I was in a terrible place coming to this country. And eventually I grew to love it, but it took a while, you know. And so, uh, um, but uh, that's, that's, that's what you want to build character? <laughs> have, the, have the entire world against you and, and realize that you're the only person telling you that you're okay. 
<laughs> you know, and then of course a few others show up, and you know, uh, and eventually things work out, and you, you know, I, I found music, and I found flying airplanes, and other things, you know, and I had much more for self-approval. But uh, if you want to see how strong you are, you know, put yourself in, a, or, or find yourself in a position where you're the only person that approves of you, and then when you come along and say, well, and then you hear this like, you know, white guilt that, uh, you know, we, we uh, white people need approval of black people, and, and liberals need to kowtow to Black Lives Matter, and you know, pledge allegiance and get down on a knee, and I'm just laughing. These people are idiots. <laughs> you are so stupid. You know, because you don't need, you know, for someone that thinks that they need the approval of somebody else to exist, you know, if a white person thinks they need the approval of a black person to be, to exist any more than a black person thinks they need the approval of a white person, it's just insane. And of course, we can throw in Asians, you know, American Indians and uh, anybody else into the mix you want. But the point is that you don't need somebody else's approval. So Scott Harris, Scott uh, Adams comes along. And he now he's pretty funny, but this is this is how a liberal white guy thinks. And you can tell he's a liberal because he pledged to Black Lives Matter, donated money, time. And I heard this on Chicks on the Right. I was listening to that before the show. And so they're talking about how Scott Adams, the Dilbert creator. And I love Dilbert. Dilbert's hysterical. You want to talk about a a great view of of, of corporate office life. Uh, I think part of the problem with Dilbert, though, is that people work at home now. (laughs) So his audience has kind of disappeared. People don't rush to the office to read Dilbert to find out what it's like to work in an office. They don't do that as much. Anyway, back to the story. But he, he was a traditional, you know, white male liberal. And I'm sure he voted for Obama, you know, out of guilt, uh, just to prove his, uh, that he was, he was a good person. Okay? Again, I've never had that burden either. <laughs> once, you, once you only have yourself to prove, you're a good person, and the rest is easy. Anyway, so as, as the story goes, that uh, he became disillusioned when he read this poll that only 47% of black people think it's okay to be white. Uh, and of course, he feels bad with it. He said, "Well, wait a minute. We can't have that. I, I got to watch out where I am. I got to, uh, you know, go hang out in more white neighborhoods. <laughs> you know, I got to go live with white people." And I'm like, well, that's that's kind of an opposite extreme too. Having lived in a, in a predominantly black neighborhood myself, and didn't care. It was great. I had a wonderful time. You know, uh, I told the story of of playing uh, blues in the uh, in the laundromat and having all these old guys show up and start making up blues songs. That was a, that was an unbelievable experience. You know, that uh, that would not be repeated in a white neighborhood. Guarantee it. Um, but in that neighborhood, it was cool. <laughs> it was just amazing. Uh, and these were guys, this is back in the 80s. So these were guys that grew up before the Civil Rights Act. Okay, so we're talking old time, you know, and this is, we're talking pre, pre-Civil Rights America. And these guys were still, you know, joining the white guy with the guitar, uh, singing blues songs. And so, and none of us cared. We didn't care. We were different races. It didn't matter. We were making good music. That's what mattered. And so you got to get away from all this stuff. But the white liberal guys can't do that because they're so wrapped up in getting approval that they, they go to the opposite extreme. And so Scott Adams, you know, of Dilbert, has gone to such an extreme that, that uh, now, he's, now he's against black people. He doesn't want to live in a black neighborhood. He wants the, the white people to associate together. And that's just as wrong as his first stance of kowtowing to Black Lives Matter and donating money to assuage his guilt and all the other things he did. So you, you liberal white guys are really screwed up. <laughs> you, know, you need to start talking to conservative white guys. Uh, or, and that, or me, which I'm basically anti-federalist. That, that's my new title. Used to be conservative independent, but that's too long and too hard to say. So, so now I'm an anti-federalist. And so what's an anti-federalist, Greg? Well, if you read the Federalist Papers, the counter to the Federalist Papers was the anti-federalist papers. And the anti-federalist papers were written by anti-federalists. <laughs> so that's me. So if I start a political party at some point, it's going to be the anti-federalist party. And so that's, that's kind of where I am. Anyway, so liberal white guys, you got a problem. You should, you should listen to Action Radio more and assuage your guilt and just carry on your life and do what you, do what you feel like. Don't do it because you need other people's approval. That's your problem. Anybody whose approval you need has control over you. Think about that. Anybody whose approval you need has control over you. You can never be your own person if, if your existence depends on what other people think of you. 
you'll always be uh, in doubt because they'll use that against you because that's, that's human nature. Power. People want power. And the way to get power is guilt or manipulation or false accusations of racism or you know, government policy like affirmative action. It all comes down to the same thing. I'm actually leading to uh, the topic for today, which is uh, why the infrastructure in the country is falling apart. And it's because men have stopped working. Uh, because they've been, you know, basically men are throwaway. And so we'll get to that. And then we'll get to uh, uh, probably tomorrow, um, Brandon's program, which is really Obama's program, uh, basically purging the federal government of, of white straight men. <laughs> you know, and when you do that, it all falls apart. Why? Because, you know, the simple truth is white straight men work hard and make things work and create things and start businesses and do stuff and get on the power lines. Not, not that other races don't, but you got to figure most of the men in this country are, are straight white men. Most of the men, that's just the way it goes. So most of the jobs, you know, standing on the power lines or working in the sewers or doing all of Micro's dirty jobs, it basically comes down to a majority of white guys. <laughs> okay, so you throw away the white guys, the country's going to fall apart. And that's exactly what's happening. Look at the idiocracy in Washington. You know, the Brandon idiocracy, as Obama tries to purge both Michelle and Barack, try to purge the entire government of straight white guys, it's falling apart because straight white guys work hard to make things work. You look at the Europeans, you know, look at that. Well, let's go to the British, first of all. Who, who is the one group in the entire world that has a tradition of freedom? Well, it's the British, you know, and, and they also had tyranny because they had the monarchs. And they had a lot. I mean, you, you've all seen Brave, right? Okay. So the British have a tradition of, of tyrannical monarchs, but they also have a tradition of freedom. <clears throat> Excuse me. Going back to Magna Carta, most countries don't have that. You know, Germany was city-states, and France had the French Revolution where everybody was guillotined. You know, the Asian countries had, had warlords for, for thousands of years, and the African countries, you know, had – I don't know what they were. I, I need to learn African history, but they had a society that was not based on freedom as they sold slaves to the rest of the world. <laughs> you know, South America had a, did not have a tradition of freedom. So the, only, the, only, the world's only tradition of freedom really was in England, and then it came to the United States, and then, of course, we expanded it. And now we expanded it back to the Western world. So the, the British Commonwealth countries, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, although they seem to have lost their way, which is why I think we have more listeners in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and England, uh, it's because they've lost their freedom and they, they're sort of looking to us to help get it back. And I think more people are actually looking to Action Radio because we are on the forefront of freedom. There is no freer concept than people writing the laws that they're governed by and that they consent to be governed by. And that's what the show is based on. This is our revolution. Okay, so if if you don't buy into that, you're not going to buy into Action Radio (laughs) because that's what we do here. Anyway, so I explain all these other things and I go through these other scenarios and we talk about the news, but it all comes down to, you know, we the people writing the laws that we consent to be governed by and having the power through juries to nullify the laws that we do not consent to be governed by. That's what it's all about. Citizens writing laws and empowering juries. We don't talk enough about juries, but we will. Anyway, so back to, back to the, the cure for mass psychosis. I am all over the place. You're talking about stream of consciousness radio. Jeez, I don't know how anybody follows this. I have trouble myself. This is the ADHD brain at work, okay? So if you want to know how I can cover 15 topics in an hour and still relate them together, that's ADHD. It's a gift. <laughs> Make it work for you. So we've talked about the truth. We've talked about ridicule. Humor is essential. Scott Adams of Dilbert has lost his humor. You know, it, it's been replaced by anger and disillusionment. Well, I think disillusionment led to the anger. He suddenly finds out that black people don't approve of white people, you know, at, at like the rate of 47%. Well, who cares? That's not my problem. That's their problem because you're living in a country with a majority of white people. Deal with it. <laughs> you know, figure it out. Or the best thing to do is, of course, not think of people as groups, but treat people as individuals. So it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, racism is an individual thing. It affects you or it doesn't. 
unemployment. You can talk about 10% unemployment, but you're either 100% employed or 100% unemployed. It affects the individual. So all these things really affect the individuals, even though this is pathological racing to group everything as much as possible, usually for political purposes or because people like statistics. Anyway, ridicule, make fun of, Dr. Fascist, the gelding old party, you know, rhinos as transgender Democrats. All the terms we use here are designed to ridicule those in power who are stupid, which is why we call them the idiocracy. So ridicule, so truth and ridicule, we redo a lot of that. But the third one, which is what we do more than anything else, is parallel structures. So the third way out of a mass psychosis is parallel structures. And I got a little note here. Václav Havel of the Czech Republic found that organizations operating within a tyranny or mass, you know, or mass psychosis, but not of the mass psychosis, can have far more effect because of the moral authority of the honest warriors uh, can be more effective than political direct action. In other words, protests, violence, things like that. Action radio is a parallel structure to the corrupt legislatures at all levels. So, whereas we write legislation that I believe is good and decent legislation that promotes freedom and it promotes freedom for everybody, otherwise it doesn't get on writeyourlaws.com, our legislative site, we are a parallel structure to all the legislatures that are out there, from Congress to the state legislatures to the school boards to the city councils to the county commissions. We are a parallel structure to every one of those legislative bodies because we write laws that we the people write. Now, whether they take them up or not, that's, that's a matter of the people have to lobby them. You know, and that's the part that's missing right now. So we're writing the laws just fine. Um, we are a parallel structure. That's going great. Okay? But what's missing is the sharing of the shows, the sharing of the bills, and people advocating our bills that bring about their own freedom. So why people aren't, aren't as willing to advocate their own freedom, I don't know. We'll take that up another time. But that's how you get around it. That's how, uh, that's how you get around the mass psychosis. So that's what it is, and that's how you get around it. I, I figured that was worth going over. Now I can figure out what my show notes are. I don't know if you're a minute ago. Where did my show notes go? Hang on. Ah, here we go. All right. So let's go on to the main topic. So the, the topic of the show today, they threw away the working men. Now the country is falling apart. So there is, um, there is a current, there's, there's two current thoughts right now. One that most people have, one that I think, you know, I'm, I'm kind of coming up with here. And the two schools of thought are, oh, wait a minute. Let's get rid of that window. We don't need that one. There we go. Okay. To try to get rid of as many windows as possible, that keeps my, my memory, you know, happy for the computer. Um, so the two schools of thought are there's a conspiracy to blow up food plants, to kill all the chickens, uh, to have the trains all wreck, uh, to have airliners, you know, almost fly into each other, to ruin our supply lines. Um, that, I believe, is not a necessarily a conspiracy. I think that's more incompetence. So the two theories of how, how life operates are incompetence or, or purpose. And I don't think those are... Uh, those, I think those actually come under incompetence. What I think is on purpose, you know, canceling our pipeline, ruining the economy, borrowing us into such massive debt that inflation is running like crazy, uh, and all the things that, uh, that Obama is doing in his third term um, are the things that are ruining this country because he's a dedicated, you know, Marxist Islamic communist. Um, and so that's what he does. That's, the, that's his job is to ruin this country and create uh, some kind of Islamic Marxist state here in the United States. And I'll stand by that. You know, he never, he's never renounced Islam. He's never, uh, even though he, you know, and he said it too. He says, you know, my Islamic, you know, my Muslim tradition, to which George Stephanopoulos, you know, famously bailed him out and said, you mean your Christian tradition? Of course, Obama says, oh, yeah, my Christian tradition. Right. That's what I am. Yeah. You know, it's a bunch of nonsense. You know, people say what they say honestly when they're not thinking, <laughs> when they're not on guard. So, so you know, you got a Marxist Muslim. And, and Robert Spencer's talked about this, you know, on the show, that there is a direct, and so does Claire Lopez. A lot of folks have that the Marxists and the, and the, the, the Muslims 
are both totalitarians in different ways. One's a theocracy and the other is a dictatorship. Well, what's the difference? They're still controlling the people. And so they find much in common with each other. You know, the, the control is what they both achieve. Now, whether one does it through uh, Allah and the other does it through, uh, you know, Stalin and Lenin or, or Marx, it's, it still amounts to the same thing. It's total, totalitarian control with no rights, which is directly opposed to everything we stand for in this country. You know, this is why the fact that the Brandon insurrection, the coup is still there, is abhorrent to anybody that believes in freedom. We all know it's an illegal government. The Democrats especially know because they're the ones that put it there. The Republicans all know, too. They're the ones that let it stay there. So we have, so we have an idiocracy. We have a, uh, uh, the tolerance for tyranny is our biggest problem right now. All right. So, so in the theory of, you know, what's, what's not working, is it, is it – I'm going to do a show on conspiracy versus uh, the line. I'm going to call it the line. And I've, I've talked about – Josie and I talk about this all the time. Where is the line between what's really happening and, and what's a theory that doesn't make any sense, that, that still has yet to be proven? And that line is, well, I draw it with Josie, you know, I don't want to talk about her when she's not here too much. <laughs> she might call in. She's probably going, Greg, what are you doing? Uh, the line is that, yes, there is a coup. There was a coup. The government's illegal. I accept that. Um, but then the idea that Trump's going to come in with, uh, you know, the military and sweep it all out and, and impose a military dictatorship and, and then fix it and the military's going to leave. I don't buy that for a second. I never have. Uh, that, so that's, that's over the line. So we're going to draw lines. We're going to, we're going to do a show where we actually draw lines. What's real? What's, you know, what's, uh, what's, what's theory? What's, what's improbable theory? Well, let's call it that. I don't like the word conspiracy because it has too many connotations. A conspiracy is a real thing. A conspiracy is when two or more people um, decide to do evil or break the law. That's what a conspiracy is. Well, that would be <laughs> the entire federal government, you know, uh, keeping the branded insurrection in office when we know damn well that it's illegal, that they lost the election. So that's, a conspir- that's the biggest conspiracy out there. It's not a theory. It's a fact. And it is a fact because Brandon's still there. And, of course, Jill, Jill Brandon, you know, wants to maintain her power in the White House unjustly. Uh, and she's willing to sacrifice uh, Joe to do it. So she doesn't care what happens to Joe as long as she gets to stay in the White House. Should be interesting. Uh, okay. Let's look at a text real quick. All right. So where do you stand? Do you think, as I think? that the reason that the airliners are almost plowing into each other, that the trains are derailing and nobody can handle it, um, the fact that our food supply, the processing plants are either blowing up or even, you know, it looks like a couple of planes ran into them, um, some of the other things in the supply chain, the infrastructure, the basic infrastructure is falling apart because they got rid of the, the guys that actually know how to do the job, mostly the white guys. We'll talk about that more later, but mostly it's just the guys. It's working men, hardworking men. You know, I care what your background, but hardworking men are not allowed in society. You know, you have to be liberal metrosexual men. You know, you have to be uh, somehow, you have to fill your diversity quotient, you know, which means LGBTQ, transgender, different races, different protected groups, things like that, which is crazy. You, like I say, Brandon, you know, the entire Brandon administration, you, you got a white guy that's, that's mentally incapacitated. You've got a, you got a gay transportation secretary. That's his only qualification. You got a black Supreme Court uh, judge. That's, only, that's her only qualification. You know, you got all these folks that are filling quotas. Well, you can't govern by quota. You get an idiocracy. You get people that have no competence for their job. You know, they just have to fill a quota. You look at all the police chiefs that are there because of a quota, as opposed to actually being good police officers first before becoming chief. You look at all the district attorneys that are there because they're leftists, funded by George Soros. Well, that's not a qualification for being a district attorney. So all the people that make the country work are being systematically done away with. And when you do that, the country doesn't work. So how I came about this in detail was an article I found in um, Revolver News. 
So let's bring up Revolver News. No, it's not that one. Right. I've got to, you know me. I have uh, too many. I have tried to keep my windows to a minimum. So let's go. Oh, I got a bunch of great articles here. We'll, we'll get to uh, tomorrow. We'll get to the uh, you know the purging of white people from the federal government. Uh, I got one here on uh, Barack Obama's hatred <laughs> of anybody except uh, you know himself. Uh, and we got everything like that. All right, let's start with the beginning. Let's start with uh, with Revolver. And so Revolver did an article, and this was February 22nd, 2023, so yeah, last week. America lost the hardworking men who held her together, and now she's crumbling. And so I tend to agree with this. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's, let's take a look and see what it says. So this is written by Jesse uh, Gretner and Olesa Dimitrakova. Hmm, must be Russian. Uh, so Jesse, J-E-S-S-I-E, G-R-E-T-E-N-E-R, and O-L-E-S-Y-A, D-M-I-T-R-A-C-O-V-A. And then it says CNN. Did CNN do this? Oh, I found that hard to believe. Anyway, let's take a look, because I, I read most of it, but uh, I'm go over it again here. It says, who could have imagined this? In a country where, until last November, the top electricity utility was legally required to pick suppliers based on the race of their owners. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, but surely America is better, at least. We're not going to sugarcoat it. Time to say what most of us already know in our bones. It's not just you. Big power outages really are a lot more frequent than they were a couple of decades ago. Yeah, how about that? Uh, although I think part of that's due to the fact that they're depend they're 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 not building power plants, <laughs> but that's another story too. Then it says the chart above, of course, which you can't see, and so you go to the revolver article, uh, which you should. It's an exclusive revolver. You know, February twenty second. You look at the chart, and it'll show a, a graph of the amount of power outages, and the line goes up <laughs> from two thousand to uh, uh, twenty twenty one. The line just goes up. It goes up and down, but it mostly goes up. It says we're not. And then it says the chart above, which you can't see is only half the story. Overall, major power outages are way up since the 1980s. American aircraft keep nearly running into each other, while scheduled flights are canceled at rates far above the pre-COVID norm, even when there are no weather reasons for it at all. That would be Southwest. We've reported on that. From 1980 to 2015, violations of the U.S. Safe Drinking Water Act, oh, that's in the play now, (laughs) more than doubled. In San Francisco last summer, the on-time rate for BART, that is the Bay Area Rapid Transit, trains dropped to less than two-thirds, putting BART in its worst situation in decades. Hope there are $190,000 you know, salaries uh, per year for, for the senior social justice manager has some ideas. Yeah, there you go. So you make almost two hundred grand for being a social justice manager. So BART is Bay Area Rapid Transit. And I used to joke there that if they called it the Frisco Area Rapid Transit, it would take on a whole new connotation. But I'll, I'll let you figure that out. All right. Then it says, oh, and there's the whole freight train derailment thing. <laughs> you probably saw something in the news about that. Ooh, yeah. Then it says, in the years to come, American infrastructure will fail more and more often as America becomes less capable of maintaining the core elements of a first world country. Oh, isn't that interesting? Why would America become less first world? That's a simple question to answer because America is making itself less first world. Then they got the, then they got uh, Texas power grid disaster only in the beginning. There's another article. This goes on. Americans have gotten used to hearing complaints about the country's quote failing infrastructure. This is typically centered on the most straight, straightforward, easily understood infrastructure: bridges, highways, subway tunnels, and the like. And yeah, sometimes there's a lot to be desired there. Then it says, but infrastructure isn't just the existence of physical assets; it's also how well they are used. How quickly is damage fixed? How well made are they in the first place? 
How well do they avoid accidents or systematic screw-ups? At its bedrock, infrastructure is substantially just people. I refer back to Mike Rowe, dirty jobs. People aren't doing the dirty jobs anymore. And they say, well, Americans don't want to do those jobs. No, Americans are paid not to do those jobs by ridiculous COVID unemployment. And the Americans that do want to do those jobs can't afford to. That's why they hire illegal aliens. But they've made that, that situation on purpose. So the jobs pay so low, <laughs> the Americans can't afford to take them. So that's what people forget. It's not the Americans don't want to do them. They can't afford to take them. They don't pay enough. So, this is, so how, do, well, how do, you, do you just mandate wage increases? No. You lower the taxes. You lower the cost of living. You do what Trump did. You know, these jobs become a lot more attractive when the cost of living is less, you know, because now the expenses are less. You can make money two ways. You can make more money or you can cut your expenses. If your taxes are down, if the cost of gas is $1.85, if inflation is 1% or less, if the shelves are full of food, you know, the, the competition, the supply will lower the price. You know, all those things lower the price. And if you can lower your cost of living, that's like getting a raise. So you got more money, which means you can spend more money other places. Well, when people spend more money other places, that is what they call the velocity of money as well as economic terms. But the more people spend, the faster they spend it, the better the economy grows. The transaction you know, rate, the rate at which money changes hands is important to an economy. The more money changes hands, the better the economy. Because the more it's made, the more goods and services are created, sold, moved about, exchanged. And that's, what, uh, that's wealth. That's what makes a country grow. That makes a bigger pie, bigger economic pie. See, the left doesn't understand this. They think it's just the pie is fixed. And all you can do is uh, take from one you know, slice and give it to another slice of pie. It didn't work that way. They don't know that, that but we're being governed by that kind of idiocracy. Let's get back to the article. It says, at its bedrock, infrastructure is substantially just people, a population of workers with the expertise and experience to keep a complex system functional, reliable, and accident-free. Decline in this infrastructure, the human infrastructure, may be papered over with improved technology and automation, but when problems do arise, it is impossible to miss the decay. In a recent Twitter thread, venture capitalist Balaji Shin Srinivasan, Balaji Srinivasan, I hope I did that right, sounds cool anyway, noted the, ulti- that noted the ultimately human root of America's declining infrastructure. And he said, one answer to that, the only type of maintenance, I'm sorry, I'm having fun. One answer is that the only type of maintenance that's even semi-prestigious in American society is software maintenance. Well, that would be for soft people, right? Because they deal in soft stuff. I'm just teasing. Software maintenance, that's it. That is, it's not prestigious to be a plumber or electrician, which is kind of funny because if you happen to need a plumber, mechanic, or electrician, you're, you know, S out of luck. He says you can make money, but it doesn't have cultural cachet, and so maintenance suffers. Yeah, it's not cool. Why is it not cool to be a plumber, mechanic, or electrician? Well, that, you find all the guys doing that. You know, I'll tell you a perfect example, a friend of mine, and I can mention his name because he's public, he does videos all the time. Larry Downs Jr. is a plumber. He's been on the show. He has told us that he's having a terrible time finding apprentices. Young guys simply just don't want to work. Bunch of lazy asses. Well, what do you expect? They've been playing video games in mommy's basement, you know, long past the, the, the age of majority, you know, 21. They're still down there playing video games. They don't care. There's another report that came out last week. I was watching uh, Tipping Point. Uh, with, uh, what's her name? <laughs> She's so intelligent, too. It's funny. Uh, I forgot her name. I'll, I'll think of it in a minute. Anyway, so Tipping Point, talking about how uh, uh, 60% of the men are not dating, uh, but 60% of the women are, which means 20% of the men are dating a lot of women. Uh, but guys aren't dating. 
They're not forming relationships. They're not getting married. They're not having kids. You know, the still mommy's based on playing video games. They're not participating. They're not doing the jobs. You know, I don't, they're probably not joining the unions. Nothing wrong. I'm really pro-union, private union. Government union, no. Private union, you know, if you're a journeyman, if you're an apprentice, if you're learning a trade, that's a wonderful uh, life. You know, you're independent. You make decisions. Uh, and, I've, and I gave this example before, too. When I was a flight instructor, an active instructor, my favorite students, and this is men or women, were people that did a, you know, a job that required some kind of decision-making uh, or independence. You know, I had one who was a combat trauma nurse, one of my best students of all time. Another woman was, a, you know, managed a small business. Uh, I had uh, guys that were uh, contractors, plumbers, mechanics, electricians, just like they talk about in the article. They were my best students. The hardest ones to teach, quite honestly, doctors, lawyers, you know, scientists, people that are unbelievably brilliant, laser focused on, on one thing, but they can't see the big picture because they have a brain that focuses. And you, you, you talk to an uh, auto mechanic, they've got to know a bunch of different parts, a bunch of different cars, they gotta, you know, and they've got to juggle several cars over the course of a day in their shop. That takes, that's, it. that's balanced thinking. That's multitasking, right? So only certain people can do that, but they make great pilots. And so, so the brain, you know, the, the, the blue-collar managing, I don't even like the term blue-collar, but just the, uh, the trades, you know, as opposed to the office workers. Um, I wonder if Dilbert is going to come back <laughs> and start doing, you know, uh, you know, trade jobs, you know, that'd be really interesting, you know, and see how that works. Anyway, point being, plumber, mechanic, electrician says you can't, you can make money, but, it, you know, who doesn't honor these folks? I do. Well, believe me, you know, uh, you know, my mechanics, you know, auto mechanics, great friend. If I could have a commercial I made for him, <laughs> you know, so that, I definitely honor those things. Anyway, then it's the article says two years ago when Texas practically collapsed after a severe but hardly insurmountable ice storm, we mentioned the non-physical dimension of infrastructure in the United States. And the quote is, but infrastructure, this is a, rev- a revolver story, so they're, they're covering some of their, their stories. So, but infrastructure isn't just about allocating enough funding, it's about people. The quality of a country's broad-based infrastructure is heavily linked to the skills of its common blue-collar workers and local bureaucrats. You know, the ones that actually get things done, you know, the, the county supervisors, the inspectors, the, the health people, the, uh, the assessors, you know, the tax people, the good tax people. You know, they don't pay taxes for necessary government services. Those are the local bureaucrats, and those are the ones you can actually talk to, many of whom have been on the show. Okay? Anyway, when these groups are more capable, everything works a little bit better in a country. They cut fewer corners when building new infrastructure and are more diligent in maintaining it. They work more diligently and efficiently. They are more likely to use the right materials. They avoid preventable errors. Another thing, too, is that uh, there's a really strong philosophy that what you own you know, you value and what you value, you invest in and you take care of. So if you own your own business, you take care of it, you work at it, you, you don't just do the, the nine to five, you do a 40 hour, 50 hour, 60 hour a week. Look at Action Radio, I'll probably do an 80 hour a week on Action Radio. You know, I love what I'm doing. You know, it's mine. <laughs> my, 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 mine. <laughs> well, yeah, plus all everybody else that helps. I'm, I'm, I'm just being silly. But the point is because, you know, I started this thing. Uh, I place, you know, huge value in it, and I'm willing to work harder at it just for that reason. So, what, you know, same thing with the environment, too. Environmental stuff. People say, well, we can't have private owners of the environment. We've got to have uh, national parks and state parks. Oh, geez, that worked out really well? Some cases, yeah. But in a lot of cases, they've taken over huge amounts of land, and there's oil under it, which they won't let us have. So, you know, that's another problem. But traditionally, some of the best managed lands are private, private conservation land, hunters. Hunters set aside huge amounts of land, yeah, for hunting. Sure, but they also set aside huge amounts of land. You know, a lot of the, the hunter license fees are what maintain a lot of open space in this country because they have an investment in it, because they want to take care of it, because they want to go hunt, hunt ducks and deer. Okay, great. 
you know, managed. <laughs> you know, same thing with, uh, um, you know, fishing. You know, you manage it carefully. There's plenty of fish. If you don't manage it carefully, you got a problem. All right, back to the article. I digress. For decades, local planners and technicians and civil engineers were often unsung heroes of American life. Even as American family life frayed, which was government policy, by the way, industry moved abroad and crime soared, they built and maintained the amenities that are synonymous with the first world. I kind of want to say first world, I sort of like it. Anyway, it says, but the heroic age of Americans who actually built infrastructure is long past. The silver age of those who could at least maintain it is disappearing as well. Like the elves departing Middle Earth, the, the average American utility worker is nearly 50 years old. In the next 10 years, as many as 50% of these workers will retire. There are plenty of critiques to be made of elderly workers. We published one just the other day. But if there is any industry where experience is truly invaluable, it is in maintaining and managing the enormously complex systems that America's cities and states use to generate power, supply water, move people, and generally keep everything functioning. These workers started their careers in a very different America, one with a higher quality working class, which felt far less shame about hiring based on knowledge and ability, even if it produced a workforce that was too white or too male. See, white males make the, make the world work. It's just, it's just a fact, okay? You know, <laughs> and I'll stand by that. It, oh, does that mean other races don't? No, but just means that, uh, you know, white guys work hard. That's just, that's, that's just a simple fact. White guys invent things. White guys create uh, businesses. White guys do all kinds of good things. And you get rid of the white guys, the country's screwed. It just is. Look at the rest of the world. And I, I went through that whole, that's why I went through that freedom example. Who brought freedom to the, the, you know, the world? Well, English you know, and, and various philosophers in Europe. White guys. <laughs> you know, and they brought to the United States, the pilgrims, you know, everybody else that came here. White guys. Okay? So you know, why, why we don't have a celebration, why we don't have you know, white guy invention, you know, maintenance infrastructure day <laughs> or month. I don't know. Well, you can't say that, Greg. I just did. What are you going to do? You know, take me off the air. I'll find another place to go. Ain't gonna, you know, it's not going to bother me. All right. It says too white or too male or too anything. Oh, yeah. That's how they too. I'd like to know what the too anything is. We'll figure that out. Anyway, this is now. They are passing the baton to a population with different skills and very different values. Yeah. <laughs> Video games in mommy's basement. If, the, if anybody content will be able to manage the handoff. Oh, confident, excuse me, I misread that. Is anybody confident will be able to manage the handoff? Well, not if they're all Pete Buttigieg. You know, he's a younger guy. He was mayor of South Bend, Indiana. You know, now he's Secretary of Transportation. He's a young guy. Is, is he one that you feel confident can manage anything? No, he's one of the younger guys. He has no clue what he's doing. Say if over 50, we're it. <laughs> you better, better keep us around for a while because nothing's going to work, you know, without the, without the old guys. It says, early signs aren't promising. When Colonial Pipeline suffered a major outage due to a cyber attack, the company's CEO had to admit that the company was essentially incapable of operating its pipelines manually, not because it was impossible, but because everyone with the knowledge to do so was retired or dead. Let me read that again. This is fascinating. Because you guys all remember when the, when the pipeline went out. When Colonial Pipeline suffered a major outage due to a cyber attack, the company's CEO had to admit that the company was essentially capable of operating pipelines manually, not because it was impossible. In other words, they had valves. They had switches and valves, and they had uh, you know, wheels you turn, and they had things that you, you know, switches that you threw, and they had things that opened and closed pipelines, and uh, they had the door, you know, in, internal gates on the pipelines, and all that. They had all that stuff, right? But nobody knew how to use it because everything was automated, and they're so used to it being automated, okay? Uh, operating his pipelines manually, not because it was impossible, but because everyone with the knowledge to do so was retired or dead. Now think about that. 
think about the knowledge we're losing. We're losing, um, does anybody know, for example, how to crank start a car? I do, only because my father had a Ford Model T. I've crank started a car. I know how to do it. You know, it wouldn't be a bad backup if cars had crank starters again. You know, all those people that had your battery run out, well, if you've got jumper cables, that works, but why not have a crank starter? Okay. Stick shift. Anybody still know how to drive a stick shift? I do. In fact, my next car is going to be a stick shift. What's the advantage of a stick shift? Well, you push it fast enough, you can pop the clutch, start it, and recharge your battery. Okay. Who knows how to pop the clutch? <laughs> okay. Anybody out there know how to read a map? Can you find your way with a compass? You know, when, when society breaks down and your autopilot doesn't work anymore, when your self-driving car you know, starts, uh, reverses east and west because some kind of, some, you got some glitch in your software and you end up going in the wrong direction. Would you notice? Would you notice the sun setting in the east as a problem? <laughs> okay. Would you have a basic orientation of where to go and what to do? Do you have basic survival skills? Do you, do you carry a pocket knife, for example? I do. I've got a Swiss army knife with a screwdriver and a, and a couple of blades and, uh, you know, and a can opener and a, a wine opener, just in case, you know, it's got some necessary things on it. I know how to use it. I use that thing all the time. Phillips head screwdriver versus a flathead screwdriver. Do you know the difference? You know, these young guys, have they ever actually fixed anything or built anything or done anything? Do they even want to? Well, they're playing software. They're using video games. It's all, it's all virtual. Okay. So artificial intelligence is not intelligence. Okay. Virtual reality is not reality. <laughs> okay. Let's get, let's get this straight. So the younger generation of, of the guys that used to do the jobs have no clue how to do the jobs. They're not the apprentices. They're not the blue-collar workers. And again, like I say, I've talked about that term, but I'll use it for convenience. They don't know how to shut off the valves or start the valves. They don't know how to jumpstart their cars. <laughs> they don't know how to use a hand crank. They don't know how to use them. And sometimes the guys, women too, because right? this is an equal world, right? So, so the kids today, they don't know how to read a map. They don't know how to use a compass. They, they don't know which way the sun comes up. They don't know the difference between longitude and latitude. <laughs> you know, they, can't, uh, they can't do a bunch of different things. You know, I even learned how to make fire with a stick just in case. I was in Hawaii. It was in the, the Polynesian Cultural Center. I didn't know how to do that, but I'll always know. Am I ever going to have to use that? I don't know, but I know how to do it. Okay. So I know how to, how to, uh, you know, form a stick and uh, dig a little cutaway in a, in a log and, and, uh, you know, create enough friction to get hot enough, you know, toss in a couple of leaves and I could get a fire going with nothing. Well, my pocket knife. Isn't that cool? <laughs> you know, but people have to, but, but that's just, that's just basic, basic, basic knowledge of survival. And, you know, uh, I used to fly an airplane when I was 16 years old. I flew all over New England with a chart, a paper chart, you know, a directional gyro, which was sort of, you know, which is a more stable representation of my compass and a watch. And that's how I flew. So the map, a watch and a, and a compass. And I flew all over New England by myself at 16 years old. Okay. How many kids could even think about doing that today? Well, where's the autopilot, man? You know, and we didn't have transponder or equipped, you know, radar flight following. We didn't have, uh, I couldn't just call up. Well, I had emergency frequency, but I couldn't just call up and say, hey, I need help. <laughs> you know, I'd have to fly to a place where I, you know, I could call up. So I'd head for the nearest big city and go, where am I? Well, let's, let's, let's call our flight service station and get a directional finding uh, thing. But, I, you know, there are ways to do it. Or I could have just landed at an airport and say, hey, where am I? Oh, you're here. Oh, okay, cool. So I was never stuck, but it's just fascinating that uh, things people don't think about. How about the boaters out there? Do you know how to navigate stars if you're caught at night? You know, can you, I mean, all you have to do is find the North Star. You know where Polaris is off the end of the Big Dipper? If you know where Polaris is, the North Star off the end of the Big Dipper, at night, on a clear night, you can find your way. Because the North Star points north. <laughs> That's why it's called the North Star, right? <sighs> Boy, I am ranting today. Back to the article. <laughs> Colonial Pipeline CEO Joseph Blount, B-L-O-U-N-T, says workers who historically operated pipelines and other infrastructure manually have 
retired. That's from the post-millennial, June 8th, 2021. Article says right before, I want to finish this before we get to Jonathan, who's in the next hour. Uh, Dorothy's not here. Dorothy Diana with our, our sex and sensuality report. Uh, she's off today. And so she's going to pick another day this week to come join us. So maybe get Jonathan around for a while. Maybe you want to join us. All right. Also, which happened last week, which is really fun. We got, a, we got someone typed in from the Netherlands on our, our chat line. So uh, live chat works. Live chat's great. So live chat is worldwide. And so depending on your time zone, but that would include, uh, you know, from uh, uh, probably Europe, you know, and, and a good part of Asia and Africa uh, would be in a decent time zone to reach us. Um, also, Central South America is a pretty decent time zone to reach us, too. You know, Australia, that, you know, that's how the dateline, eh, it's going to be a little tougher. <laughs> you know, Japan, Australia, you know, China, Russia, those kind of places is going to be a little tougher, well, at least uh, Eastern Russia, you know, because it's the middle of the night right there. It's probably, uh, I don't know, three in the morning, <laughs> something like that. It might be a little harder to reach us, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> So, uh, but that's, but the rest of the world, yeah, get on live chat and uh, type us a message. Okay. I think I hope to get my, my Dutch uh, typist back and find out what he thought of the Robert Malone interview. That's why he called in. That's what he wanted to listen to. All right. Let me see if I can get back to my article here, finish this up. We're all, I think, am I almost done? Let me take a look here. The little cursor on the side. Nope. Not even close. <laughs> Maybe I'll pick it up in the next hour, uh, but I've got so much to do today. We'll see. You get the basic idea. Uh, All right, so here we go. Next thing, right before our eyes, America is losing the ability to sustain the complex systems that are the markers of modern civilization. Okay, even more appalling, this transformation is a choice. Oh, here we go. Remember that trillion-dollar infrastructure bill Biden passed? Did you know that the construction companies who want access to any of that gigantic pile of federal dollars need to implement major affirmative action policies? to favor people based on race and sex, obviously not merit. Well, you can't run a country, you know, without merit. And that doesn't mean the people of different races and sexes don't have merit, but that's not what they're basing it on. They're basing it only on people of different races and sexes who would apply for those jobs because they don't have merit. You know, why, if you had merit, why would you worry about it? If you're, if you're a competent person, you know, of whatever race or whatever sex, you know, and if you're competent, you know, there's a good chance you're going to get the job. Oh, it's a racist country, Greg. No, only in your mind. Uh, not officially, and that's illegal. Uh, and women do make the same as men doing the same job. You know, that, that, that whole idea that women make 77 cents on the dollar that a man makes is the entire economy. Why? Because guys work harder and advance in careers faster. You know, women take time off for kids. That's a, that's a necessary thing, but it, it, it is an economic price to pay. That's why guys make more money. Because they work at the job longer, they do more overtime, they work harder, they, they, they have more ambition, they, they uh, put in more overtime and, uh, you know, and, and try and get up the, the corporate ladder or the entrepreneurial ladder faster. That's why men make more money. This is, this is basic. It's not a flaw. You know, it's not, this is a, a problem or a discrimination issue that needs to be government addressed. As long as the pay is equal for equal work, then we're fine. Then it's up to the individual. All right. So back to where we go here. So, so it says, remember that trillion dollar infrastructure. And did you know? That if a company, here it goes back to the article, did you know that if a company is getting a government contract on even one project, they need to practice affirmative action on everything. See, affirmative action is unconstitutional. It is racist to pick people for a job based on their race. That is racist against the people that weren't picked for that job. So you want to talk about the real races? What is it, systemic racism? Isn't that the, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the current uh, catchphrases or social justice? In other words, you have to reward justice socially as opposed to individually. Well, affirmative action is a racist policy. Affirmative action is illegal under the 14th Amendment, under the Constitution. It's illegal under the Civil Rights Act. 
I don't know why it's never been. I should ask you all the time, but let me put that down. Why is an affirmative action challenge under the Civil Rights Act? Let me put that down here. My topic, mostly. I've got a good bunch of things from mostly. <laughs> That's Jonathan. I, I tend to abbreviate when I do things. So let me write down here. Why is an affirmative Why isn't affirmative action challenged by civil rights laws? You can't have it both ways, okay? You, you can't have racial quotas, racial preferences, and still have still talk about equality because it's not equal at that point. Equal is when everybody has a chance at the job, and whoever gets it gets it. That's equality, equal opportunity, equal chance. You know, but if you if you if you tip the scales in the affirmative action, you know, then uh, for the government projects or, or government or basically corporations, you merge the corporations with the government. This is what you get. All right, I think I'm going to take a break here because <laughs> now we're getting more current stuff. I'm going to just hold it right here. Uh, I might get back to this in the third hour. We'll see, but I want to play a couple things here before Jonathan gets here. Check uh, chat. Anybody on chat? No one's on chat. Just me. <laughs> so let me play some things. Back in a, a little bit, like I say, Jonathan will be here in about four minutes. So we'll, uh, we'll talk then. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, 
which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grace Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical efficacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gracecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gracecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Grace Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. Yeah, of course, it helps if I unmute the microphone. <laughs> I almost forgot to do that. I'm moving things around my desk. It's kind of crazy. So we're just waiting for Jonathan to join us now. Uh, we'll see what's going on, unless he's deeply wrapped up in some legal matter, in which case I'll uh, ask him about that when he gets in. So I might as well get back to this article. This is fascinating. And so it's, uh, it's a very interesting look at our infrastructure, not from the perspective that they're purposely trying to sabotage it, but through incompetence and through this ridiculous you know, uh, racial sex quota system that they're getting rid of all the people that actually can do the job. And I used to joke about this too. You, you look at the post office and all the white guys in the post office are, are like 60 plus <laughs> or, or long, whatever affirmative action came in. They're probably all 65 and retired. Are, are there any white guys left in the post office? That'd be something interesting to find out. But remember back, you know, 20 years ago, there was like an age, all the white guys were a certain age. Uh, and then everybody else coming in was of a different race. Now, does that mean they were all discriminating against the post office? I don't know. I mean, how many people apply for the post office? How many people apply for jobs of different races simply because the jobs, it's easier to get the jobs uh, and there are more jobs and the jobs that are open uh, and they pay well. You know, if you're, gonna, if you're a post office, that's a good job. You know, it makes a good amount of money. It's, it's pretty much guaranteed employment. You've got all the government benefits. You know, you've got the health, you've got the vacation time. You know, you're in a union. Uh, it's, it's not a bad gig. Okay. But if you're a white guy and it's, it's not open to you because of affirmative action, you're going you're to look somewhere else for employment. Of course, the stereotype is, well, white guys can get a job anywhere. Really? Let me tell you about my job history. It doesn't work that way. So, a bunch of, so those are people that just want to make you feel bad because, uh, um, you know, they, they don't want to work hard. They just want the, the guaranteed job. You know, they don't want you to get the job. So, okay, fine. That's, that's, that's power play. All right. So back to the article. It says, remember the trillion-dollar infrastructure bill? And I said that. And you know, come in, there you go. So that's interesting. It says that if a company is getting a government contract on even one project, they need to practice affirmative action on everything. So you turn the entire company into a racist and sexist discrimination company simply to get that government contract. Well, the thing is, uh, government contracts pay a lot of money. So what we really need, need to do to solve this problem is stop government contracts you know, or just have a, have, a, have a grant 
you know, just they grant the money and it's okay. They're going to pay for it to be done, but no, 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 no restrictions, no strings, no, no things like that. Then it says, the article says, for women, the participation goal is 6.9%, meaning we are going to strive to make 6. Point, how do you make 0.9% of a woman? <laughs> I'm sorry. So we're going to strive to make 6.9% of the total hours worked on each and every project be performed by women. For minorities, we have a different goal percentage, and that's 7%, uh, even up to 23, or this is from 7%, uh, even up to 23% or more, and that's based on each individual geographic region in which you're performing the project, which gets back to the whole idea that you cannot, you know, distribute the jobs in society uh, based on quotas. You know, that's like saying that, uh, well, let's pick an example. I think, um, I don't know, are Jewish guys underrepresented in the NBA? I mean, how many Jewish guys are like seven foot tall? Probably not a lot. Don't ask me why. I just made that up. But the point is that, uh, you know, so does that mean we have to have, you know, 20% Jewish guys, you know, uh, you know, in the NBA who are shoot, like, like, like average male height, you know, five, eight, five, nine, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying, but whatever category you pick, do you have to force that into a particular uh, thing? You know, you look at most of the swimmers are white. Most of the uh, basketball players are black. The, the really good ones. Okay. Do we need to reverse that? Do we need to make uh, black people start swimming and white guys uh, play more basketball? I don't know. That's, that seems to be where this is going. That your criteria, that, your, that what you look like, you know, and what, uh, you know, what God gave you, you know, your, your sex, male or female, uh, is what matters. This is bizarre to me. I mean, I, you know, we've talked about this. Everybody's talked about it. But just you've got to, you know, you, you sort of go back and you think, where did this all come from? Why is this important? Where, you know, where do we get a society that doesn't value a job being done, but values who does it and what they look like? That's just crazy talk. You know, these people are truly insane, and they're ruining our country. You know, and a lot of other people are allowing it to happen. They're going along with it. So you don't need permission to value your plumber. Tell your plumber, hey, nice job, even if he's a white guy. <laughs> I'm joking around with that, but you think about it. You know, you can, you can fix a lot of this stuff. You know, don't hire... Um, companies that have affirmative action policies. I'm sorry, you have an affirmative action policy. I, I, I'd rather deal with somebody who, uh, you know, who operates on a merit system. Or if, if you know a big government contract is building a building, say, look, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go in that building. It was built by affirmative action policies, and I just object to it. So if you're going to resist, start resisting. Look where these policies are. Now, of course, they're everywhere, but, you know, it's okay. It's a major project. But you can still protest. You know, this project has affirmative action, which discriminates against anybody who's not in the program. <laughs> you know, I mean, just whatever you want to do to resist, that's, that's how you do it. That's the way it works. All right. Okay, so here we go. Uh, then it says, for our individuals with disabilities, it is a utilization goal that Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act, <clears throat> we are trying to hit 7% of our workforce in each trade identify as having a disability. And that number isn't pulled out of thin air. It really is an estimate of the population of the United States that identifies as having a disability. Well, of course, I immediately keyed on the word identifies. What is your disability? <laughs> you know, I just made that up. You know, I mean, what are people claiming as a disability? Disability is where you're physically incapable of doing something. If you're, if you're legally blind, that's a disability. Okay, I don't want you flying an airplane if you're, if, you, if you're legally blind. That just, you know, that's the obvious example. But what about taking measurements of buildings and, and architecture and doing technical drawings and computer graphics and things like that? If, you, if you've got a, a vision problem, you know, should you be doing that kind of work? Or are you going to make a mistake that causes the building to collapse one day? It's just, you've got to value the work. You've got to value the quality of the work. And that's just not being happening. So I don't understand what this is all trying to accomplish. And you think about it. 
what is it what does it matter if 23% of the population are doing a job or 21 or 18 or 50 i don't get it i just don't it makes no sense to me you know it's like obama trying to replace the entire government with you know with people other than straight white men well apparently government's on a straight you know there's a lot of straight white guys under the trump administration things ran pretty well so inherent obvious nature you know if you just want to do a, just a straight comparison just a straight comparison of the of the 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 third term of Obama that we're in now, versus Trump's first term, even though we're actually in Trump's second term. So what he's going to do in 2024 is his second second term. But leave all the semantics aside. If you look at a government based on affirmative action, and everything's falling apart, as opposed to a government with a whole bunch of straight white guys, which is based on merit and things work pretty well, the obvious answer is you have to go on merit. Otherwise, things are going to get you know completely screwed up. And yet that's the desire of these people. They'd rather have the country screwed up and the people who look right having the jobs and be at the top of, of society than actually have it work. That to me is irrational. That makes no sense. That's, that's for stupid people, which is part of the problem. So intelligence, do we, do we have a affirmative action for intelligence? In other words, you know, do you have to have so many stupid people in government uh, to meet your quota? <laughs> I, I, I got to put that in. Intelligence. I, I like this idea. We're going we're to run with this. This is this is like this would be like a Dilbert thing that he would do, you know, Scott Adams, except that he uh, he's the liberal white guy that has lost his way. Uh, so let's put uh, in, in affirmative action intelligence. <laughs> if you want to play with this with me, feel free. Affirmative. I wonder where Jonathan is. Action intelligence. He might be busy. He might be stuck with me for three hours. Let's find out. I might, I might take another break and text him. I might text him now. Well, let's see if I can find Jonathan. Uh, da, 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 da. Oh, let's see. Where are you? <laughs> Where are you? Don't mind me. And he'll go, oh, it's calling time. There we go. Okay, fine. All right, so let's get back to my article. <clears throat> like I said, you may be stuck with me. for. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's funny. That's hysterical. Did you read your text, Jonathan? We're on the air live. Or, or did you just just call in and you got busy? And I just sent you a text. No, Where I are you? Remember, I had to find my. Uh, I, I have. I need to. Well, anyway, go ahead. I need to put all my all my new phone numbers in my new phone, and I. Oh, okay. Got two one five three eight three three eight three two. Well, you obviously know it because you called it. So right. that's good. I thought I was going to have to talk for three hours by myself, and I was not looking forward to that prospect. I don't think anybody else was either. <laughs> um. I've been going over, before we get to all your topics, and we've got the whole rest of the show because uh, uh, Dorothy's going to join us another day. She's off uh, today. But did you see this Revolver article I posted a while back? And it's on, let me see if I can remember to get my space back here. It says, America lost the hardworking men who held her together, and now she's crumbling. So basically all the older guys, a lot of times white guys, uh, who basically did all the work, uh, like that uh, that pipeline that collapsed. Nobody knew how to how to open the valves, right? Because they didn't know how to turn the wheels. Um, we're now getting a bunch of, you know, kids, affirmative action people, guys that have been playing video games, you know, mommy's basement, and they don't know how to do anything. And, and I think our infrastructure is falling apart not because some people think it's 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 uh, sabotage. They're they're blowing up the food processing plants. They're they're causing the airlines to run into each other. They're, uh, you know, doing all the other things that are happening now. Uh, and they say, well, this is all intentional. I don't think so. I think it's, it makes more sense to me. This might be an affirmative action, um, you know, rating based on what you look like as opposed to what you can do kind of thing. And all the competent, hardworking people, especially men, uh, in, in a large case, you know, white men, are being kicked out of the system 
or are old and retiring, and they're not being replaced by people that either work, know how to work, know how to do the work. Uh, they're functionally, um, they're like mechanically illiterate. They have no basic knowledge of how things work. That's the article I'm going over. All right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure that it's so much about race in this case, although it is. I, you know, I posted on my, I posted a meme on or my Facebook saying that uh, uh, Gen Z women. Uh, I think I posted a, a broken wire uh-huh. and said, "Ask before you go out on a date." the Gen Z man, ask him if he knows what to do with this. Mm-hmm. You know, just what was you, know, it? A, a, you know, ask him, ask if he knows how to screw the cabinet door back, back into the cabinet. You know, is he good for anything other than just sitting and eating hot pockets and playing video games? <laughs> well, and it's not just white men. The only reason I mention that is because most people, most men in this country are white. And so if you get rid of the, the, the older men, the working men, the guys that know how to climb the power lines, the guys that know how to, you know, go down into the sewers, you know, it could be any race. I mean, I'm not, uh, but with the, the problem is they're, they're getting rid of all the, the competent guys, the guys that actually do the work, the plumbers, the electricians, the contractors, all that kind of stuff. And it's mostly guys that do these jobs. You know, still most pilots are, are guys. Most truck drivers are guys. You know, most of the hard work that makes the country work is done by guys especially older guys, the younger guys, somewhere along the way, this got lost. And so the theory is that I don't think it's the government blowing up our infrastructure. I think it's just falling apart because nobody knows how to, how to work it anymore. They don't know how to do a valve. And I mentioned, um, like, well, let me ask you a question. If you, if you had a, um, a crank start, could you crank start a car? Have you ever done that? I actually crank have. start? You, mean like you, have a, you have a handle in front? Uh-huh. I mean, I know, I know I've never been in the same place with one of those, but I, I mean, that, that sounds a lot easier than, say, pushing a car downhill and, and throwing the clutch into gear, which I have I've done. done. That too. Yeah, I've done that a lot. <laughs> I've had, this is one of the reasons I get stick shift cars, but yeah, could you, could you crank start a car if you had to? In other words, why don't cars have well, a crank start anymore? Yeah, that would save on, on uh, you know, costly batteries. You could always, you know, crank start your car, start it up, Drive to your auto parts store, buy a battery, throw it in, and uh, you wouldn't have to crank start it the next time. But we don't have crank starters anymore. They're no fun. They're hard to do, actually. But they can be done. Well, yeah, but it doesn't take a lot of skill just to turn a thing around. Like I say, um, uh-huh. go, you know, doing a, doing a, a hard start um, with an automatic uh, transmission is a, is a whole other story. Well, you, you turn um, the key on, you throw it into neutral, you leave the ignition on, you put the, you set the parking brake, and then you get up front and you crank start it. That's how you do it. Right, but I'm saying pushing, you know, get pu- pushing a car downhill, mm-hmm. and not only requires some friends, but mm-hmm. that that requires more skill than than crank starting, I think. Well, I had an old Toyota and I used to live on a street that had a slight hill to it. And so what I would do if the battery ever failed, I pushed it. It was light enough. I could, it, was an old Toyota, it was a light Toyota. I could actually push it myself. And what I do is I, when the street was clear, I'd, I'd push, jump in, you know, close the door, aim down the street, aim down the hill, pop the clutch in second, fire up the car and off I'd go, uh, usually to my mechanic. But it could be done. You know, but right. and would, that would kind any, of independent. But, but see, I, I think that this this has first of all, you raised the, one of my bugaboos, which is that 
Now it's it's changing, of course. The <clears throat> the percentage of white whites in the population is is declining, but it's still a a, a majority. Mm-hmm. So you'll see things like um, you know at a mostly white crowd, so and so spoke, whatever. Yeah, the country's mostly white. So if you have a mm-hmm. crowd that if you have a crowd that faithfully represents the country, it's going to be mostly white. Duh. Um, that's what minority means. Um, so, um, you know, it's just people are just, the re- you know, there's a lot of things in life that I don't actually care about, except that the arguments being used are, are stupid. Mm. You know, I just don't like, you know, there, there, there are some issues that are not really up my alley, but when I hear the arguments being made, my skin crawls. Um, so, you know, so like I say, the, the fact that, um, you know, there was a convention of mostly white people. Yeah, that's called the, that's called, you know, called representing what they call, it's <laughs> called representing the, you know, the country, society. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the other thing too is I think it has a lot more to, it, you know, here I think it has a lot to do with Dr. Benjamin Spock. You know, who, you know, uh, teaching, teaching uh, uh, parents a bunch of stupid liberal ideas on how to raise children mm-hmm. um, that have that have wrecked a whole, well, many generations and wrecked our society. You know, I think you know, as, as people are saying, a lot, a lot of our problems would have been solved if if if, um, if our children now adults had just been spanked instead of. Um, you know, given a time out. Um, and I say that because they really have this idea that the whole world revolves around them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, e- even, even say Ukraine, <clears throat> I run into this, people say, well, um, Putin should leave. Okay. But he didn't. Now what? <laughs> oh, but, but, but I think, you know, I, we don't, nobody cares what you think. You yeah. know, you think you, that this should happen or that happen, and it's not going to because you don't, the world does not revolve around you. And, uh, you know, so I think, I think, uh, you know, the idea that people can do, can, can do, can be anything they want. No, you can't. You can probably be more than you think you can. You could probably do, you know, you know, get encouraged and not be discouraged and, and, and accomplish far more than you're thinking. No, you can't be anything you want. Um, you know, I, if I could be anything I want, I'd be a porpoise. And, uh, you know, and, and, and around, but I can't. Um, or an eagle and fly above the thing, but it's not going to happen. Um, so you have this whole attitude that, you know, Johnny's too important to learn how to get out and, uh, and fix the dang car. You know, it's, we, we want him to, we want him to, you know, the, the future is on the internet. So we want him to be technically literate in which he's going to like waste his time on video games and learn absolutely nothing that's employable. You know, it's um, funny you mentioned the internet. But, 
I, I was just thinking. I had um, I had a I have a Ruger GP100 357 Magnum that I put a little too much uh, lubricating oil in, and it gummed it up, and it stopped working. I thought, well, this is interesting. What can I do? I didn't want to take it to a gunsmith that costs a lot of money. I figured, let me see if I can figure this out. So I took it apart as much as I could. Then I went on YouTube and I found a, a really good video, completely dismantling field stripping, well beyond field stripping. I mean, you really took this revolver apart. And I thought, well, this is interesting. So I took it apart, cleaned it up, put a, a minimal amount of lubricating oil that I'm supposed to do, put it back together, and it works fine. But so the Internet can help you. There's a ton of instructional things, but you have to have the, the, the gumption to think that you can actually do it yourself rather than rely on experts. And a lot of time I rely on experts for car repair and things like that. But for, for, for that particular operation, I thought, you know, I can probably figure this out. But how many, how many of the younger kids think that they can figure it out? I don't know. Well, I think the mentality of the younger kids, and I know we sound like, the, you know, when I was young, we went up, uh, you know, we walked the yeah, hill both ways. Yeah, but, but we did, though. But, yeah. Yeah. But, but the thing is, there's a lot of truth to it, is that uh, it, it, is I, I think we've raised several generations now who, mm-hmm. you know, it, it isn't that they make a, con- in my opinion, they make a conscious choice that experts are better than they are. Mm-hmm. It's that their whole attitude towards life is, wow, it doesn't work. <laughs> um, you know, it's not, it's not like, gee, I wonder what would be the best pat course of action to getting this to work again. It's just like, you know, wow. And, um, you know, because that's the way they were raised. And, um, you know, my parents were highly accomplished professionals they were usually you know very busy right. uh, but my mom did not mom wanted us to be reading books not mowing the lawn and I think that was a mistake later in life when I helped my dad uh, build several houses you know because we were always moving you know I learned stuff but I didn't learn it as a child I learned it a lot of stuff fairly recently huh and now there's, there's, you know, there's almost nothing I, I can't do about, you know, right, right now I'm, <clears throat> dry, you know, touching up the drywall. I'm going to paint uh, a wall here where I'm renting and all kinds of things that I've learned to do, learn from my father, and I know I can do it. Um, yeah, but you had you a know, father. But, but, <laughs> you had a father at home. That's another. That's a whole other crisis right there. How much of this is? And Pianki's on the line too. So Pianki, join us. I want to know. I want to know if you've ever hand, hand cranked a car. Uh, my dad had a Model T back when I was about eight years old. So I actually, know how to hand crank a star, uh, hand crank a start a car. Um, but um, Jonathan, one of the biggest problems is the, the lack of fathers. And from the Great Society program to divorce court to all the other things that are going on in society now, uh, to women having kids on their own thinking that's okay, um, which I think is amazingly selfish. You know, the guys, where, where do the boys go to learn how to be men when they don't have their fathers? And most boys don't grow up with fathers at home now. That's huge. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <clears throat> and I, and I, well, I feel terrible today. I, right, who who wants to go first? <laughs> Panky, why don't you go ahead? And then we'll get back to Jonathan. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I was going to tell you, you were talking about popping a clutch. You can't do that on automatic transmission. I you can only do it I on manual. Know. No, I was talking about hand yeah. cranking. My, my father had a Model T Ford. I actually know how to set the spark, you know, set the brake, get out, hand crank, crank the car to start it with that little handle out front. It's not easy, but it can be done. 
you know, they used to do it back then, uh, before the electric starters, hop in, you know, take your, take your hand handle out, you know, hop in and, and drive a Ford Model T. I could do that. You know, my father, well, despite his other flaws, taught stuff. <laughs> you know, he was pretty good at teaching. I've had crates, I've had crates on engines. We had a horsey engine and also, you know, a motorcycle. You had kickstarts, but uh, that's true. Yeah, kickstart. Lawnmowers have a pull cord. Yeah. Okay, same yeah, principle. Yeah. Motorboats. But kids don't have no mechanical aptitude. And one of the things, <clears throat> if you have a child. And you got a garage. You turn that garage into an inventor's workshop where you have well machines, chemistry set, everything in there in order to spur the innovative thinking that may lie within the child to see where the you know, where he or she can come out at. But uh, like Jonathan said, you sit on the couch and play them T V games, you know, being just a plain old potato. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I had um, I have a friend whose son, um, you know, loves cars. She swears that while he was in her womb, she would have dreams about cars. And oh, then he would get out and he would like, you know, we could not, she stayed with me for a little while because, um, long story. So we, we could not go to, out to the store without him having like four or five little cars in his hand. Hmm. Uh, so I figured, well, here's a here's a great career. He's going to have, you know, because uh, I I've seen you know, I, in, in college. I went door to door in Fort Lauderdale, <laughs> um, selling encyclopedias. And are oh, you one of those guys? And, wow! Yeah, I can see yeah, you doing that. We had a <laughs> we had a finance. I mean, we had a financing option, but the only guy who didn't need it financed was a car mechanic. He, he just wrote a check. Boom. And I thought, you know, it made me think that these guys, you know, you know, some of these trades mm-hmm. are a better option for for people than, um, you know, than, than some of these supposed to cut college things. And uh, so, so I thought, well, he's going to be, he's going to be great. And then he goes off to school and he's spending all his time on, on video games. And then of course, then he met a girl. So now the whole car thing is car mechanic plan has gone out the window. Well, that's too bad. Um, you should be able to do yeah, that. I mean, yeah. Have a girlfriend but, and play with cars. Yeah. You say you so say anyway, so I, I think but the thing is, I think part of the problem is that they're not, um, is that they're not, um, you know, like like they're not they're not only mechanically. Well, how did you put it? They're they're mechanically unskilled. But they're mechanically uninterested. Yeah. You know, I, Which is I, even I, worse. Yeah, and but like I say, the the parents are sitting there probably thinking, well, we'll buy him a computer. You know, he'll be prepared for the 21st century or whatever it is. And all they're doing is, you know, is you know sharing status updates on Facebook and. And um, and playing video games and stuff. So um, I don't know. The um, so of course, of course, the movie Idiocracy is a 
Oh, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> That's where we're going. That's what I call the current branded insurrection is the idiocracy. The replacing of competent straight white guys with everybody else. Because <laughs> the criteria is that they're, you know, LGBTQ or a different race or whatever. You know, Buttigieg got his job because he married a dude. You know, Judge Jackson got her job because she's black. She's a black woman. I mean, you, you go through the criteria. It's the criteria that's killing this country. You cannot run a country on, on, on people's categories. You, you have to run it on what they can do. And, and all the older competent people are going. I'll give you an example. I'm going to get Pianki in here in a second. But my daughter, I taught her how to shoot, how to read a map, how to read a compass, you know, how to orient uh, with basic star navigation where the North Star was, you know, just basic stuff. And these are just basic survival skills. You know, and she was a daughter, so it's not a male-female thing. But, uh, and she was fine with all that stuff. Taught her how to shoot archery. We did a lot of that. You know, she's pretty competent in a bunch of different areas. And maybe she did or didn't want to pursue some of those things. But the thing was that knowledge is always there and she can apply it to other things. So it's not just a male-female thing, but it's, it's an interesting. Do you have interest in your kids to encourage them to do things that are creative? Uh, you know, her big thing was photography, you know, and so we, we encouraged that. And, uh, you know, took all our way to college with it. Pianchi? Did you what? what <clears throat> Would you, you teach her how to string a bow? Um, oh, yeah. Did you have a- no, no, it was, it was a regular, well, she used my bow, because uh, I got her a, a less powered bow, but then she graduated up to my bow, um, but I have a recurve, and That's so you have one of these little bow. string there attachments, so I have a recurve with a string attachment, uh, in fact, I had a balance bar on it, and we did this stuff, I said, nah, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way, <laughs> so we used to, there was, I'll, I'll give you a great uh, place to go for folks that are in California, behind the Chabot Observatory in Oakland, California. It's a beautiful observatory. It's in the Oakland Hills. But behind it, they had an archery range, which is trails. It's like Robin Hood. And they had targets that were either animals or space aliens or whatever, you know, the target du jour (laughs) was. And you walk these trails, and you literally feel like Robin Hood, you know, crossing the hills. We do this all the time. It was great fun. Um, But that's a a great thing. make one of those. With your kid, yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, so archery, you know, out in an open field is nice. But it's much more fun to go around corners and up and down hills and shoot up, shoot down, shoot wherever, you know, the target is. And uh, some of them were like over these little valleys and things. And it was really fun. It was, it was a fun place to go. Well, I, this all the time, I think yeah. we should learn, learn art. Uh-huh. Even though there are, well, I keep hearing different estimates. I've heard a much higher estimate. That the most frequent estimate is that there's 300 million guns in the United States and a trillion rounds of ammunition. Uh-huh. But still, if you are... You know, if you have the zombie apocalypse and you don't have stores of ammunition, yeah. um, I think everybody for survival purposes should know how to use a bow and arrow, which I don't. Um, you can learn. And, uh, it's not too late. Well, no, it's on my, you know, I've got okay. a few other things on my plate right now. But, mm. um, but no, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the issue with the bow and arrow is, of course, that it, well, the issue... But the, the biggest, the, the, you know, the true survivalist, you know, can make a, an arrow <laughs> I'm the and maybe make a, a bow and arrow, a bow too. I mean, because if you, if you, and I don't know how that's even possible without to make uh-huh. a bow, uh, to make an arrow. But if you can make arrows, then you're good forever. You can. Uh, now they're carbon. They're carbon now. The bows are, are beautiful laminated wood. No, just buy them. Not that expensive. You can get a bow for a hundred bucks. You can get some. You know, get about no, fifteen I mean, arrows. You know, it's it's, it's very it's I mean, very inexpensive if, hobby. Because you, you watch buy your, the first season of the One Hundred, uh-huh. where there's a nuclear war by you know by artificial intelligence, right. and they're up 
their families living on space stations up in the uh-huh. up in orbit, and they combine all their space stations together, uh-huh. and then then they send a hundred teenagers down to the surface uh, after a couple hundred years to see if it's habitable. You know, and they're running around trying to survive. And you think, uh, so if you, um, you know, if you have, if you can't just walk into a store and buy arrows, right? you know, it seems to me like being able to, it seems like bows and arrows are the most robust solution mm-hmm. to, you know, to hunt for, you know, hunt deer, and which Eugene Delgadio in Loudoun County, Virginia, used to call <laughs> Uh, rats with antlers. He, he's a politician. He's a, he's a uh, no, flamboyant, beautiful. conservative Republican. Because yeah. because um, they would cause he, he would try to organize uh, like deer hunts, and all the you know all the leftists would shriek, and that would make him want to do it all the more. And um, <laughs> because he said they they overpopulate, like you know, um, and um, I don't know what would happen if we actually had to live off of deer, but. You know, whether there'd be enough of them. but Well, Nugent says we'd be really healthy. But, you know, my plan in San Francisco was to, because they're invading all the East Bay Hills. I said, why don't you sh- hunt the deer and feed the homeless with them? <laughs> he didn't kill two birds with one stone, but they, you know, sure. that didn't fly. Yeah. Pianchi? He's the. We'll get him in on that. <clears throat> yeah, you, you should have bought an arrow. Bamboo. Yeah, I used to hunt deer with bow and arrow. Make okay. the arrows out of bamboo and put rock on for your, for your poet, your broadhead. Works good. Also, if you're in a tree stand and you have your six inch knife, you jump down on the back of a deer. Hang oh, on, it's a little slow. Oh, that's that's, know, that's, that's old school. I, <laughs> that's definitely old your, school. Your stands sound like cheating to me, but you know. Anyway, so we're rambling all over the place here. Um, well, let's get back let's to your see, topic. What was I going to? Um, well, we got oh, Georgia. Um, have you we heard the Georgia the, case? Have you heard the news? What? Which, which, which? We, well, I've got a bunch of topics for you, but why don't you go ahead and start? We heard the news on what? Okay, the the, the news is that this year, mm-hmm. the government has decided to tell the truth on February thirty first. No, that's impossible. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, I get it. On uh, yeah, February thirty first, they're gonna they're gonna come clean and tell us. All Everything. the truth. So uh, got it. So oh, mark, mark February thirty first on your calendar. Is, is this a new mind calendar that I haven't read yet or what? <laughs> no, it's just me being, being a, a smart hey, you know what? Speaking um, of news, you know what today so, is uh, I forgot to tell everybody? Is that this is my, my sixth anniversary in Florida. This is the day I arrived, February 27th of 2017. And March 1st is when I did my first show at WBY. So this is, this, is, this is my milestone. I've been here six years now. Boy, has it been fun. It's gone by fast, too. Anyway, that's all right. personal note. Back to you, Jonathan. Okay, so um, a lot is going on in uh, I actually have a friend using my computer but I'll, I'll do this the um, uh, the um, I think it's Missouri uh, they passed a law saying that you cannot put sexually explicit uh, textbook or books in the school library mm-hmm. not and this is happening this is going on uh, Tennessee just passed a law saying you can't have sexually explicit shows like drag queens, but not only drag queens, um, where children are present. And, but the amazing thing about the, the, the law in, in Missouri about um, 
sexually explicit books in the school library is the ACLU has sued. So, hmm. I mean, it's one thing to put on what basis, you know, to expose what it's, it's another level of brazen to go in there and say, no, we really want to, you know, that it's, it's the Missouri, um, lot, you know, school library association, hmm. which really doesn't have standing there, you know, cause they're, they're not, you know, they, a, a, an honest judge would throw the case out just on standing issues, but, but so they've got, but they're saying, you know, they're going, imagine going into a judge and saying, but, but we want to give sexually explicit books to children. You know, and you imagine <laughs> that what the judge is, is looking at, are you out of your mind? Get the hell out of exactly. my courtroom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, um, you know, but they're actually suing. Now, they, of course, they have a little bit of a, of a hook of an explanation is that, um, is that they say the law is vague, and uh, which is a problem only if it helps liberals. You know, mm. there, there is an established doctrine that says that a law that is vague and ambiguous um, is, can even be unconstitutional. But only, you know, apparent, but, but, you know, only if the policy uh, is conservative and the liberals are objecting, then, you know, if it's the other way around, then it's okay. Right. Uh, it's exactly. January 6th cases, they're, they're using one of the big, biggest uh, ca- uh, laws they're using has nothing whatsoever to do with what they're using it for on January 6th, obstructing an official proceeding. It's clear in its history and its context and every other way that it is um, about, you know, intimidating witnesses or destroying documents. It has nothing to do with liberals rushing into the uh, Senate confirmation hearings of of Brett Kavanaugh Mm -hmm. uh, or January 6th. It's never been used that way before. And it's qualified by corruptly and the government says in pleadings like, Oh, corruptly is not ambiguous. And then they give like, like 10 different alternative interpretations of corruptly. Um, and so, and, and it's considered to be unconstitutional for two reasons. One is that, that a person of average intelligence wouldn't know how to conform their behavior to the law. Mm-hmm. Or secondly, that it would give an officer, an official, unbridled discretion to just pick and choose whom they want to, whom they want to prosecute, because it's, it's ambiguous enough that they, it allows an, uh, uh, an official, like a prosecutor, just to make up the law. Mm-hmm. And uh, but again, that's never, you know, that that never that objection never works when it's brought by conservatives. It's only. It only works and it's brought by liberals. So that's well, what they're, they're trying to, they're trying to sue about, you know, it's like, well, you know, we, we, how, how do we know when we're uh, exposing minor children to sexually explicit material? Um, and, and what, what it's talking I like about sex explicitly, I, that's how. If it's talking about yeah. sexual things explicitly, you know, in other words, directly, in other words, without any vagueness, you know, they're using all the words and all the, the actions and everything else. That's how you know. I mean, I don't have, it's not the I pornography explanation, so. explanation. I know it when I see it. You know, it's more than that. It's like when they're, when they're actually describing sexual stuff 
uh, in a very direct manner, showing. that would be actually, that would be it. Go ahead. We're actually showing it, you know, showing it. Um, yeah, and, um, I mean, I've been in front I've of judges. Those books. Like, but go ahead, Pianki. Yeah, I've seen those books of uh, really? two figures, two characters. And one got his head, and the other guy's lap. They had a school in Virginia where you had about six boys line up against the wall. Six boys get on their knees in front of them. See, but here's the thing that I don't understand: how they come up with this idea that you know more and best for a child than their parents do. It shouldn't right. even be a given. That's the parents' responsibility. It shouldn't have to take a law. It's the parents' responsibility. Yeah, no, it's true. I, I don't know either. I mean, they got. I don't know. I mean, because they got this. Um, it's like Governor Duncan in Virginia who, um, and as I mentioned, was a MAGA uh, candidate. Everybody says that he ran away from Trump. He did not. Um, I, you know, I was there. I, was, I met him in person. I shook his hand when he was first there. He, he, you know, but they'll say that he, um, you know, anyway, so he ran on this whole issue of the teacher, you know, parents being in charge of their children and things like that. But even he, when they promulgated a regulation on on this, on, on not the books, but on the um, you know a teaching transitioning and things like that in in school, they still had to have a public comment. So I noticed that you know people were saying, "Oh, you have to go and comment on the the proposed regulation for the for the education department." So I went up there, and it really kind of focused my thoughts when I read what people were saying. And even the even the, the Governor Youngkin administration proposal mentioned something like, you know, the uh, these children have been entrusted to us, the the schools. And my first thing is, no, they haven't. You you are not entrusted with these children. You are there to teach them academics. You're, in no way are they entrusted to anything about you. And the other thing it made me really um, think about, I think I mentioned this in a, in a previous show, is that, is that what they're actually saying is that they want to practice medicine without a license. You know, the, teacher, the teachers are practicing psychiatry or psychology or therapy or medicine. And if you or I did that, we'd be arrested. For, for practicing without a license. Um, so I don't know where this, you know, it became just this acceptance. <clears throat> now, one, one person, one uh, education reform leader, I mean, real reform, theorized that, that teachers have always had a, an inferiority complex. So they, they, they think that just teaching academics is not enough. So they always want to do more. They, they, they feel like, you know, they need to, you know, you know, expand and things like that. But even while their children's academics collapse into idiocracy, to bring it back to the movie. Um, so I don't know. So, so there's a, the interest to see just how far – I don't buy that inferiority thing. I think that's just a rationalization for for teaching a a values-based system uh, as opposed to an academic-based system. 
And I, I got a sort of a general question here. I mean, I know the answer, but I don't. So the answer that I know is that the reason they teach kids all the sex stuff is to break down their morals, break down their the family, break down their belief in God, break down their, their country, their allegiance to the United States, break down everything so they can re, be rebuilt as, you know, Marxist godless uh, communists. I, mean, I understand that, but, I, but is there more to it? Is there, is there something more insidious, more psychologically evil that you would, you would purposely destroy kids, uh, destroy their, their, their selves, their belief and everything? You know, kids don't need to hear sexually explicit stuff at a young age. They shouldn't even bother with it. It should never enter them at all. So the reason that the, the, the idea that people want to do this, there's got to be a motivation behind it. And besides the reason that I, the reasons I've just given, those are the ones we all know. Is there something more? Is there something chronically mentally ill about these people that they want to bring sex into kids' lives at a young age? Is there something, you know, that something need that they have or, or some kind of uh, dark satanic or whatever is what is, what is really behind the reasons that we know? Is there more to this? Is there something beyond that that we haven't talked about yet? That's what I'm wondering. Well, they're, yeah, they're not going right. to admit it. Go ahead. Kathy. No, he's absolutely right. See, what the practice was back in, in the days before, <clears throat> they would have an idea, and then they'd get a slate of people to run for a school board. School board. A slate. You know, if you had five members on the school board, they'd have three on the slate. And they have this same purpose and idea. I think that's exactly what's going on right now. You got people that's got these ridiculous thoughts that's a slate on their school board, so they take control of the school board. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's what they're teaching, though, Pianchi. It's that they're, they're teaching stuff that's obviously to anybody with a brain is something you would never – it's compl- inappropriate. It doesn't even begin to describe how evil this is. But like I say, the, the theory is that they're breaking down the kids. They're, they're destroying their morals. They're making them accepting of anything. That's why you put grown men in the girls' locker room. You do all horrible things to kids to psychologically torture them and, and allow them to accept anything. You know, and instead of God, country, and family. But I think there's more to it. Well, there is, and, and I'm and I'm wondering what that more is. That's that's the part I'm questioning right now. What's what's going on in their minds? What why are they so evil? What's what's behind? What do they get well, out of this by destroying the, kids? Jonathan, one of the possibilities, and again, well, I was going to say they're not going to tell us, but actually they kind of do tell us. But um, they always do. <laughs> that you know, one one of it is that they want to have sex with, with children. Okay. So they need to um, convince children that it's okay, um, you know, at, at a young, you know, young started at a young age. Um, they hate Christianity, which they think is repressive. Okay. And, you know, so represses natural things. And there are lots of activists who are, who are writing papers and everything else saying that, you know, in, you know, sexuality among infants is normal, you know, even, even, a newborn is a sexual being, and and, and of course the, the thing is is that is that in fact sex and many other things are just incredibly complicated. Mm-hmm. So um, the idea that children are not ready um, is something that these people cannot. You know they, they. I don't know if it's like inborn. They're not. You know. They they they, they cannot consider the idea that it takes it takes twenty years to to develop and figure out your feelings and, and go through all this stuff. They just think it's like, you know, you are what you are and, and it's just like turning on a, sw- you know, it's just like the switch and there's no, there's no human development involved. And, but anyway, so, so they will say, you know, they are advocating 
mm-hmm. for you know lowering the age of consent for how uh, so I guess they are kind of telling us you know they they a lot of them secretly hope to uh, to have sex with children and so they're pushing to you know to create an environment for it and a lot of other people just want to go along with the cool you know cool Doc, crowd yeah. But it's so selfish uh, because the consent, uh, the reason we have consent laws is to protect kids from, from being in positions where they can't make a decision. You know, consent means you can't give consent until you're in a place in life where you can give consent. And if you can't give consent, these are things that should not happen to you. But it seems to me the ultimate selfish act to steal a child's life by wanting to have sex with them. And normal folks are disgusted. They're probably throwing up right now at this whole thought. Well, it's a disgusting both, topic. I mean, there's both... There's both the power imbalance okay. and there's also the developmental, you know, because really if you, I mean, it, to me it all started this thought when I saw a spinoff, I think it was Maud or the Golden Girls or something, and it's spinoff of, of Oh, I'm curious where you're family. going now. It, this is interesting. What? <laughs> no, I'm curious no, where you're they, going with they, it. The, the, the old biddies were sitting around talking. Uh-huh. And and one of them said, you know, if Martians landed and you t- had to try to explain sex to them, what would you say? And all the old women just start laughing because really it's crazy. And you know, so you know that that in that part of us doesn't make sense. And so to expect children to understand it, you know, it, it takes twenty years to under you know to, to to know to know how to navigate all of that. Um, well, is and, there a sociopathy uh, you know, involved? Because it's evil to have sex with children. Everybody with a with a brain and a conscience knows this is evil. You don't do this, you know. And so, if you want to do this, is this as sociopathic as pathologically lying, as as all the other things that are going on? You know, you talk about the transgender, you know, mutilating kids before they hit, before they uh, are old enough to scream and object uh, and tell them not to go to their parents. This is evil. These are people that are 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 psychologically they have no place in school. In other words, if you want to break down the, the sexual mores, uh, the morals of children, wouldn't that be disqualification for being in education at all? Anyway, don't we want these people out of think, there? Okay. I think they should be so, in jail. I mean, I, should we do a, a pedophilia yeah, preponderance? What, what, what's, it called, what's it called legally when you have a tendency or, or an a inclination to do something? There's, there's you know, uh, maybe those are the right words. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm just wondering. Um, you know, if so, if someone has if you had tendency to be, me, a, I could have told. What was that? Yeah. Okay. Well, think of it later in the show. We always, you know, brain things like that. But there's evil. This but, is evil. This is sociopathy. The, well, well, it is. But the thing is, they don't believe mm-hmm. in evil. For number one is that's it. They want there the left go. wants to destroy the idea that there's any such thing as evil. Okay. And and part of it, it seems like they're eager to jump off a cliff and plumb any depth to mm-hmm. prove that. Evil doesn't exist, and and if it's breaking down, and I think the only evil is 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 Christianity and white people, and um, so breaking down the idea of good and evil is attacking, is trying to root out Christianity from our society. Um, so, you know, I think there's that, and so um, you know, so people like again. There are issues like, say, marijuana that personally I don't care. Um, but when, when I hear dumb arguments, I'm like, that is a dumb argument. And there are people <laughs> that perhaps don't care about sex with children, but they just hate Christianity. So anything that, anything that 
that attacks the, the idea that there's any such thing as evil. There, you know, it's, it's all just a social construct. It's all hmm. good and evil is just learned behavior. Um, you know, they're willing to jump on the bandwagon <clears throat> to, you know, to try to route out any, any idea of right and wrong in society. Um, so what does the ACLU and, get anyway, out of this? So, uh, what, what would the ACLU get out of this? If they're advocating on behalf of pedophiles who are pretty much established, are sociopaths or psychopaths because they want to have sex with children, what, you know, and, and the, that hurts the kids, hurts the entire family, hurts the country, hurts everything. Uh, why would the ACLU advocate on behalf of this? What do they get out of it? I think they they have been a demonic they, institution too. Not always. This is new. They weren't always this way. I believe that they, um, all these people, if you listen to them talk, they think that the average voter is going to side with them, mm-hmm. and they they just cannot comprehend the average member of society is listening to him and going, you guys are nuts. It's like mm-hmm. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, you know, she, she bonded to the state of the union by saying it's no longer the difference between right and left. It's the difference between normal and crazy. Well, she, that was and, a brilliant which speech, is, by the way, that was absolutely, if anybody hasn't heard it, you've got to hear Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She was absolutely brilliant. And you, but you never would have heard a, a, a traditional Republican ever talk like that. And, and so, um, um, you know, so, so they, you know, they, I think they think that they think that the average person is going to hear that Republicans want to ban books and somehow that will hurt Republicans in the election. And, and they, you know, but as soon as they, you know, a lot of these things make sense, you know, their arguments make sense at first, but then if you think about it for five minutes, you're like, wait a minute. Well, that's not the whole um, argument. The whole argument is the Republicans want to ban books for children that cannot be read in front of adults at school board meetings. See, so you forget the other there, half. There's a YouTube. There's a YouTube up somewhere. You Hold on, Pianki. Yeah. Hold on, Pianki. I want to. I want to. I want to get this. Thought. I want to kind of follow this through a little bit. Jonathan. You know, several several parents have gone into school boards and read from the books that are in the libraries. That's what I want to talk about. Yeah. And sometimes the school board will cut them off because it's too mm-hmm. sexually explicit. Right. You're saying, but this That's, is in your book. This is in your library. Yeah. Yep. There was one where a, where a teenage boy read from the book, and I I didn't have time to 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 watch it, but they they had a you know they had a teacher re, uh, or teenage student reading from the book to the, to the school board, mm-hmm. you know, to, to show how bad it is. So. Mm-hmm. so isn't that what they call prima facie or whatever is evidence? If it if you can't read it to the school board. The very people who approved that book uh, for five-year-olds or whatever it is, how can it be in the library? That is that is that's the damning evidence. That's the 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 what the smoking gun right there. Mm-hmm. Right, I would think. Yeah. Any book that can't be read for a school board should be automatically disqualified from the library. And I'm not I'm not a book banning person. I just you know, Pianki, what do you think? There's a school in St. Louis. I help get the get started because the community wanted this type of school. So the parents went in the library and went over every book in the library. Hmm. And when they were done, it was a pile of books on the floor. They say, these are not for our kids. That's what it's, uh, these are black parents. See, mm-hmm. that's what the problem is. 
you don't have enough blacks speaking out against this because they carry a particular card in their pocket that they can always use. You got to get blacks involved in these things. You well, never see blacks at these food boards of any numbers complaining about this for whatever reason. You need to have them because their kids are the ones that can't read presently, no matter what the content <laughs> of the material is. Well, what do you think is the obstacle? Is it because the black parents of, of that type are just so busy trying to trying to make a living, or what's what's the, what's the whole? I don't know. The, uh... Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of that too. But I'm telling you, like I was telling the people with COS Convention of States, you need to get blacks involved in this. And we're making a plan yeah. on doing so next week. Hmm. Do you think that black parents are more likely to speak out or speak out louder than, say, white parents who might want to be more reserved? I'm wondering if black parents make better advocates. Well, if one thing they can do, they can level and call the school board members that want to put this content in. They can always call them racist, not can't they? Well, I was thinking that's the card you're saying. It's the race card. Who is the uh, the lieutenant governor in South Carolina? Uh, it's a gentleman. Uh, I forgot his name. Oh he's yeah. Like, you know the guy I'm talking about, right? So he gets up. I, he makes I a do. Speech. If, you had, if you hadn't asked me, I would have told you. I don't know. <laughs> Rutherford. He, he, was, I, he was at CPAC uh, a year ago. He's magnificent. Yeah, he's just, and he's just a regular guy, right? He gets up at a, at a, at a meeting, a town council or, or a county or a city council or a supervisor's a meeting, and gets up and says, you're always blaming us. The first thing that happens when a murderer assassinates children, you want to take my guns away. It's a brilliant speech. And I don't know, he didn't look like he had notes. He just looked like he got up and spoke. He spoke right from the heart. Big black guy. Forceful, strong, probably, I'm sure, a magnificent dad, works hard. I'm sure he's probably a blue-collar guy. He gets up and speaks, mesmerizes the audience. He came out of nowhere. This is the beauty of the Internet. The Internet allowed an equality that didn't exist before because he never would have been able to, no one would have noticed. He wouldn't have been reported on, nothing would have happened. People would have, well, that was a great speech. But now he's lieutenant governor on one speech. You know, and so this guy is fabulous. But uh, but the point is that a speech, you know, you get before these meetings, you know, amazing. And he's not the first one. There are other people who have launched political careers <laughs> making speeches before school boards. But I'm just wondering if if black parents, you know, not just the race card, but I just seem to me um, have been more forceful. I, I see, you know, white Americans as more reserved, as quieter, as more going along, as less likely to make as much noise. And I'm just wondering. Uh, if that we'd be more successful with more black people speaking out um, louder, like this guy. Well, once someone gets switched on, you know, once someone says, okay, that's enough, then you mm-hmm. see, I think, what Greg, you're saying. Okay. I don't know. I'm just thinking. Well, I just see some really great black speakers. I'm just curious. You know, it's like women. You remember when Shirley was on the show, she's taking a bit of a break. But women who are advocates of, of gun rights are much more effective than um, – then guys, you know, you, you get your ducks unlimited, you know, uh, get the get the. But duck you can't guys. get them to wear the gun. <clears throat> What's that? Your people that you have on on Friday, they very very reluctant. Why have the gun rights? You don't wear the guns. Who doesn't wear a gun? Mm. Good point. So they make a target. They make them. Oh, that's right. Your your gun group that you have on, I guess Friday, the lady. They're very reluctant to the ideas we throw out there. I say, you need to wear the guns. Well, yeah, well, I don't well, remember yeah. that. It was DC Project. 
know, and like I said, well, we can ask Shirley when she comes back, but uh, I don't remember that they were reluctant to wear guns. I, I, you know, I don't because most of the women in the group, it's interesting. A lot of them have had um, some kind of violent relationship or some domestic you know, abuse problem. And it's like a lot of these women have, many of the women have gotten together and formed this group, DC Project Women, and we call it the DC Project Women and Guns Report. And so I think that she's an instructor. I don't think she, I can't imagine she's not carrying a gun. That wouldn't make any sense. Um, but I don't know for sure. I mean, I don't know if that's come up. But it just seems to me that women spokespeople for this issue. You know who the who does the who are the most effective speakers for men's rights? It's women, because guys aren't listened to because their opinions don't matter. It's really quite fascinating. But, and, yeah. and because women have often have sons, and you know, and brothers and everything who are being thing. But but the thing is is what I think what Bianchi is saying is that. Uh-huh. is that the government and the left will think you must have a lot of guns if you're speaking out about, about. you know, it's not whether you actually do, but, but, but whether you'll be a, t- be a target because people think, well, if you're talking about gun rights, that must mean you probably have a lot of guns. And um, someone was just making, you know, the old joke about, I mean, like I say, I've seen many advocates for guns giving interviews, and the journalist will ask, well, how many guns do you have? He says, I don't remember, you know, because he doesn't want, they don't want the government to know um, if they've got them all or not. And the old joke, of course, is that I had a tragic boating accident. And this is just starting to (laughs) – What? And they all disappeared, right? All the guns disappeared in the train. Well, they all, they all fell overboard. Right, exactly. You know, they yeah. fell into the lake. Um, yeah. And um, this is just driving the left nuts. There was just a um, somebody advocate, somebody said, and again, you know, the left doesn't seem to know, that doesn't understand humor. You know, it's like I say, in the men in black, uh, the men in black say, we at the F, they're pretending to be FBI. The, we at the FBI don't have a sense of humor that we're aware of. Um, they, but so, so someone's saying, look, you know, if you're going to say that you had a boating accident, you probably should go out and buy a boat so that you can say this, you know, and the left <laughs> is just like, oh my God, they're, they're advocating, you know, hiding your guns and everything. I mean, cause, cause of course the left doesn't seem to understand. It's like, okay, we pass a law saying you're not allowed to have this kind of gun or you have to register that. Well, okay. What happens next? You know, the left is not very good at like, okay, what happens next? So you have a law on the books. Nobody's going to obey it. And now what? You're absolutely right. You know, Laurie has a friend up in Alaska. They are in the wilderness. I think she was telling the story when the FBI came to her place. So she got on the phone and called the sheriff, so you need to come down here and get these people. They did. The FBI went away. You got to use those rights. Okay, I have an interesting situation. Dorothy, I thought was off today. She's actually on the line right now. Um, so okay. but there's so much more. There's so much more I wanted to talk to you about, Jonathan. Do you have another hour this week? I wanted to go over the Georgia case. I wanted to go over the Supreme Court Maybe. on well, Section Two Thirty. The Georgia case. It, it's probably not a bad thing because the Georgia case is going to mature. Um, okay. I wrote an article that. Is pending. Well, it's being considered at World Net Daily, and um, so talking about it when it's published 
might okay. be um, a good thing. And the idea is is that Trump's phone call, in fact, when I wrote this thing, Trump's phone call to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger is a remarkable parallel to the phone call in the first impeachment. It's pretty much the same thing. It's a perfectly innocent phone call that the left thinks uh, Trump should be indicted for. And so I, so I lay that out. And what the heck is that? So, um, so I'm hoping that will get uh, published before anything happens in terms of an indictment because Trump's lawyers are not doing anything to head off an indictment. Um, they're not saying anything. They're, they're pathetic. Um, so I'm just hoping that the word gets out there that the phone call, I'll just say this quickly, and then is that the phone call was a required meet and confer consultation on December 31st, which is way too late. Trump's lawyers in Georgia filed a lawsuit. They then had a meet and confer phone call, which is a requirement under under the, the court rules. So this phone call that is supposedly um, Trump uh, trying to pressure uh, the poor wilting snowflake uh, Raffensperger was actually a requirement, and all the attorneys were on the line. He goes around and introduces all the attorneys, and you know, and and you could see that it was a, it was in fact not only a perfectly innocent phone call; it was a mandatory phone call, and. Trump's lawyers have not bothered to explain any of that. They're probably waiting for him to get indicted or helping to get him indicted and then go on the fundraising tour and then they'll buy another yacht is my, uh, my feeling. Actually, well, hold on a sec, because I was wrong. Uh, it's a number similar to Dorothy's, but it's not. It's a different number. And so she's actually oh. off today. So I have a new caller on the line and I'm just seeing if they will uh, – if they're on live chat right now, so they can identify themselves or I can just leave the air okay. for a second and, and, and do a quick call screen. You guys can chat for a minute, but uh, if you well, can stick well, around, just, Jonathan, let's cover all the other stuff we need to cover. Yeah. Well, while you're doing that, let me just explain that. Um, um, if you listen to the phone call uh, that is everywhere, it's on YouTube and stuff like that, the opening is cut off. <clears throat> I mean, normally you'd have a phone call and, and if it were, as the, as the liberals suggest, you say, hi, this is uh, Donald Trump. Is Brad Raffensperger there? It jumps right into, it cuts off the opening. And because the opening would have said, okay, this is our prearranged Rule 26F meet and confer. Is everybody ready? Everybody here? Um, and you don't, that's cut off. You don't see that. And so you don't hear that. And, you know, so you know by the fact that it jumps right into him going around introducing all the lawyers that they're, they've dishonestly misrepresented the phone call. And Trump's lawyers would have emails with the opposing counsel saying, okay, when do you want to do the meet and confer? How about uh, can you do it at, you know, whatever time of day it was? And so all they'd have to do is release those emails and shut this whole thing down. Um, but they're not. Um, and then if you listen to the phone call, Trump uh, mentions the different categories 
of problems with the election and the number of votes. He doesn't say, look, I know I lost, make me win. He said, in this cat, you know, there are people who were dead. This is how many people voted. There are people who moved away from Georgia. This is how many people voted. Um, there were people who don't live at the address. Nobody lives there. This is how many votes that was, and which is a requirement of a meet and confer. That's what he's supposed to be doing. And Brad Raffensperger comes back and says, well, those aren't our numbers. That's not the numbers we have. And Trump answers, well, we got those numbers from your office. <laughs> so, you know, what do you mean they're not? They're not your numbers. And then, he, and then Trump does as he's supposed to do. He says, well, what, are there, what numbers do you think are right? And Raffensperger refuses to answer, which means he's in contempt of court. He's violating the meet and confer requirement under Rule 26F. Um, and so Trump, but what Trump never says is, yeah, I know the numbers aren't in my favor, but make me win anyway. No, nothing like that. So, I mean, I, I don't understand why I can listen to the phone call and come away with it thinking there was anything wrong. But what worries me is that once, once an indictment gets rolling, there's like nothing to stop the, the uh, stone from rolling downhill. And so, um, you know, I think that through the incompetence of Trump's lawyers, you know, there's a, I mean, there's a good chance he'll get indicted, and then it'll go on for years. Um, and um, so, um, wait a minute. Let's, you know, let's, it, I mean, I've, I've had one of his lawyers on. We had Christina Bob on the show, and hopefully, she's going to come back here soon. She's got the access to, I would think, the best patriotic, conservative, constitutional lawyers in the country. Maybe even some we don't know yet. You know, uh, we hear about the, the Dershowitz's Lawrence tribes, you know, Dershowitz's liberal tribes, middle of the road, sort of, you know, but where, who's the greatest conservative, other than you, Jonathan, the greatest conservative constitutional lawyer or lawyers in the country? Where are they? And why aren't they working with Trump directly on this nonsense? You keep talking about these, these wimpy lawyers. Uh, we got Pastor Don Jr. on the phone, so I'll get to him in a bit. I want to let him kind of listen in and catch up. But where are the really good, you know, where, where are the Heritage Foundation lawyers or, or Cato or, or the Hoover Institute or Stanford? You know, where, where are the law school turning out the, the best trial lawyers? Where's the National Trial Lawyers Association? Don't they have a conservative branch? Where, where are the where, good lawyers? Or do we have any good patriot constitutional lawyers left? I think Johnny they really don't. I mean, they, they, you know. the Heritage yeah. Foundation is mighty at drinking wine and eating, you know, brie, brie and cheese crackers. They, uh, Lunch if you want someone to have a wine and cheese party, then the Heritage Foundation is your, is your baby. Um, and um, the, um, like I say, there was an activist I know who got thrown out uh, of the Heritage Foundation because he was inviting staff to, to a rally. It was activism. Hmm. He says, we Uh-oh. don't do activism on the floor. <laughs> There'll be no patriotism at the Heritage Academy. Uh, okay, makes sense. <laughs> okay, but anyway, so, so Jonathan Turley would not describe himself as a conservative, um, nor would Alan Dershowitz, but they believe in due process. And, you know, they're some of the greatest. Jonathan Turley has probably done more to um, advocate for traditional law 
over the last several years. Mm-hmm. You know, cause we have, cause you know, our position on the law would be what used to be just normal criminal law. And Jonathan Turley is probably the towering superstar, even though, you know, he's a professor at George Washington university law school mm-hmm. and right. he has a column. He has his own website, but you know, in no way would he, would he consider himself a conservative. He would just consider himself a real lawyer the way it used to be. Okay. Um, I mean, remember the ACLU and the others, they used to advocate for the rights of anyone to speak. They, they, they defended the Nazis who wanted to um, yeah, Skokie. march in that. Skokie, Illinois, yep. because they figured that if, if the most odious among us, um, their rights are, are protected, then everybody else is protected. But not today. Today, they've completely flipped, like everything else about the liberal, the liberal side of politics. So, you know, mm-hmm. so Jonathan Turley is just being a traditional uh, lawyer. Well, um, but he, he ended up. Go ahead. What? Well, I was going to say, we have like Milton Friedman and, and Pastor John, Don, your line is live now, so feel free to join us. Um, but Milton Friedman, like the crusading conservative economist of all time, brilliant man. Uh, Walter Williams was on my show. It was one of my first big interviews. You know, brilliant man. These people advocated their positions unabashedly, unashamedly for economics. What I'm wondering is where's the, where's the equivalent, you know, where's like the Clarence Darrow on the other side? <laughs> you, know, uh, where, you know, who out there is the strongest public, you know, uh, constitutional lawyer, and why aren't they working with Donald Trump? That's a, I don't understand this. Uh, well, I, I mean, Alan Dershowitz is supposedly advising some of the January 6th defendants, but he's not formally on the case. Okay. Um, and again, John Dan Hall is representing among the Proud Boys. He's representing um, the uh, um, uh, Joe Biggs, who sounds like a, you know, a 1940s. <laughs> Uh, Sinatra movie. There's Joe Big. Uh, Joe, Joe Big. Right, okay. and, <laughs> yeah, what are you talking um, about? That's my name from now on. Yeah. I'm Joe Biggs. Yeah. But the, when, you when I when Go I ahead. was in that case, the first thing <laughs> John Dan Hall did was call me up and say, "I don't agree with you on anything, except oh, due that's, process." That's encouraging. I, I'm going to fight. He's like, I am going to fight for the due process rights of these defendants because that's mm-hmm. the right thing to do. Right. That's actually not a bad position to take, but, you know, where's like the, the John Eastman or even Larry Clayman who we've had on the show or, or Jenna Ellis when she was fighting or, or Rudy Giuliani who are doing the election fraud stuff. Who are the best conservative lawyers? Is there a, is there a conservative law group? You know, well, there is the Federalist Society, but the Federalist Society has become, you know, basically the donor class. Yeah, they suck. Like, they give us it, it, uh, it, it, the Three Stooges, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and uh, Barrett, the people that didn't take the Texas yeah. case. <laughs> they suck. Right. I don't want the Federalist Society. So they, I want the uh, Anti-Federalist the Society. Is, is the Chamber of Commerce Society. Uh, exactly. You know, Where's the Anti-Federalist for... Society? That's who I want. What? The Anti-Federalist. I've, I've become an Anti-Federalist. That's my new political uh, affiliation and identity having studied, okay. as I'm studying the Anti-Federalist Papers. So where's the Anti-Federalist Society? Where are the crusading constitutionalists? Well, they're, they're, 
Well, also remember that all these people, the left understands this because, again, it's like uh, space balls. Um, good will always, you know, good will oh, wow. always lose. Good will always lose. Uh, I mean, evil, it's Dark Helmet, played by Rick Moranis, says, right. evil will always win because good is dumb. And it's oh, just, that we're dumb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's so get past this. By, the time, yeah. by the time we figure out that there's a fight, the left mm-hmm. has already smeared and attacked all our lawyers, like Rudy Giuliani and, um, uh-huh. you know, they're John Eastman. They're all facing just, you know, phony to smart barment right. um, claims for doing what tradi- what is traditional law. I mean, it used to be that everybody deserves a defense. Everybody, you know, that no one would ever... In fact, there are there were nominees to the to the federal bench and the Supreme Court saying you can't judge a lawyer by his client because he's supposed to give you know they're supposed to give a legal representation to their to their client. It doesn't mean that that the lawyer agrees with them. Well, this is you know this is all gone out the window because everything is politics. It's the long Chinese red. Uh, you know, red Chinese march through the, you know, long march through the institution. Um, it's, you know, spreading communism through every institution. And so what used to be standard law is now, you know, grounds to get yourself disbarred. This is crazy. Um, you know, and the conservatives are totally losing the battle. You know, they're not standing up. They're not fighting back. They're They're just giving up and surrendering. Uh, Don, I, I just made your line simply to have too much background noise. So if you want to mute yourself when you're not talking, uh, we can handle background noise when you are talking. So we'll just, uh, just a little housekeeping. Let me just finish and then you can go down. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Conservatives yep. don't even know there is a battle. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Tell me more. No, I mean, I, that, that's the thing. I think we're, we're so dumb, like, like, you know, space balls that, that, you know, that we, we want to believe that all these people are nice. And if we're nice to them, they'll be nice to us. Now, uh, we have a pastor on, and it is true that if we're nice to people, God will be nice to us. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that if we're nice to people, you know, they'll stop being evil. You know, hopefully, you know, our, our, our faith is in God, not in, you know, but, but the conservatives think that, oh, we're just, misunderst- you know, we're just misunderstanding them. Like, we're just nice to these people that they will... Um, you know, they will uh, uh, turn around and go, oh, he was so nice. I'm going to give up all my plans and all my agenda and all the billions of dollars I was hoping to make. And and uh, I'm just going to change everything, become a conservative. Anyway, hmm. I'll shut up. Yeah, that's okay. No, 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 this is interesting. Uh, Pastor Don, welcome back to the show from one of your, your fifth new number. <laughs> He keeps confusing me with these things. Amen. But uh, you're you're a man on the move. So where are you, where are you today? I'm in Mesa, Arizona right now, and I love the topic. I mean, y'all are really talking some real stuff. I just heard what the last gentleman was speaking, and I do want to say this. Uh, yeah, please. We are here to change the world, and by us being here to change the world, we have to impart into these radio shows, these conversations, because you don't never know who's listening. At the same time. We have to be aware we are in control of our own destiny. So we have mm-hmm. to do the right thing, go to these meetings, and be 
be a part of shows like this so we can impart in society so we can change the world. So I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm texting a thousand people. I'm telling everybody to come on in. The water's just mine. Okay. Are you sharing our bills? Hey, Pastor Don. Yes. Hey, good morning, With sir. How you doing? Black. <laughs> you and I are both black people, black Americans. Yes, sir. Why come blacks don't get involved in these constitutional issues? I'm sorry. Say it one more time. Why come black people, black Americans, don't get involved in these constitutional issues? Like we've been talking about this morning. It's lack of knowledge. They don't do the studying and the research. In order for me to get ordained, I had to go to seminary school. A lot of people don't want to go through the whole situation. People want to go to war without basic training. If you go to war without basic training, you don't know how to fire an M16. So when the troops, the enemy lines are coming in to hurt you, you don't know how to reload and win, if, you, if, if that makes sense. It's just like these school boards where you have these topics about <coughs> these sexual explicit material. You don't have blacks showing up talking that down. You don't. So what the heck's going on? We need more shows like this in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, and more people need to listen. That's why I'm texting a thousand people right now because you can't just hold. Knowledge is the only thing on this earth that you get, and if you don't give it to someone else, it's dead. You have to share the knowledge. And just because you get wisdom, I've been passing for 44 years, but because I know the movement of God, until I share it with other people, they can't get it for themselves. And I believe personal application of knowledge actually shows the world what you learn. If you learn something you don't share it with anybody else, you didn't learn it. That's what I believe. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, one, more, one more question. Go ahead, Pinky. Hey, one more yeah. question. Uh-huh. I listen to some of these other pastors, like Pinky. Out there in, in California, you probably heard him. <clears throat> Their conversation okay. is all on white racism, white folks, right. the devil, and all this crazy stuff. How in the heck do they <clears throat> they even survive? How do they survive on that? At some point in time, you know, you tell people don't open the door. There's a monster behind there, and they open the door, and there's no monster. Well, everything is cool. So how do they survive? keep preaching the same old rhetoric about whites being the devil and so on and so on and so on. Well, the society we live in today is built off negativity. If you turn on your Facebook, Instagram, you're going to see 95% negative. When you say something positive, nobody likes it, nobody shares it. But we have a show like this going down right now, and I'm texting a thousand people, but everybody's busy. The whole opportunity is going to where the positivity is, and once you get that positivity, sharing it with somebody else. Just because you're in a positive situation, that's good. I thank God for it, but at the end of the day, if you don't do anything within your power, you kill all the positivity, if that makes sense. I want to be on one of those shows. Pianchi, can you get me on a show that uh, talks about white (laughs) devils? I'm serious. This would be a great challenge. This would be fun. Speaking as a white guy, which I can do, being one you know my entire life, <laughs> this would be hysterical. Oh, let me on. Let me let let me go for it, uh, because I don't feel any guilt. I don't. I explained that earlier in the show, and both of you missed it. Um, but uh, I talked about being a minority of one when I came to this country. You know, I landed the boat in New York, right, 1972. 
um, went, ended up in Lexington, Massachusetts, right? Like I had a high school friend of mine on mm-hmm. Friday after we had Dr. Robert Malone. But the white kids didn't like me because I was Australian and spoke with a, with a funny accent. The black kids didn't like me because they were bussed in from Boston during the, the, the John Garrity busing program, which didn't work, made nobody happy. And so and here I am the odd person out. Oh, wow. So I know what it's like to be a minority of one. So I don't feel guilty for anything because everybody discriminated against me. So being free of all this white guilt nonsense that I do not care about. In fact, we, <clears throat> I was talking about Scott Adams and Dilbert earlier. That might be a great topic as well. I'm glad everybody's here today. This is fun. Um, but if you don't have that, then it, you can't be affected by it. I even had Warren call me a racist on the show. Okay, so what? Well, this, you know, that's wow. not going to get anywhere. Not with me. You know. So, uh, but <laughs> once you get beyond this stuff, and Pianki's been enormously helpful in this too, because we've talked about you know, race issues a lot, that white people need to call black shows where white people are being called white devils and say, what are you talking about? I mean, try running this country without white guys, for example. And you know, I talked about the idiocracy and the, uh, you know, the, the move of, of the, the third Obama term that we're in now you know, under the Brandon insurrection to basically remove straight white guys from the entire federal government. Well, good luck running it. You know, most a lot of the work, <laughs> you know, a lot of the work in this country has been done by white guys. It's just, that's just a fact. And we were talking earlier, the older white guys, they know how to do things like read a map, you know, open a valve on a gas line, <clears throat> you know, do all those kind of things that uh, the younger guys have no clue about. So you can replace all the white guys in the federal government. We're going to talk about this more tomorrow, this whole Brandon Obama program. But you've basically screwed yourself over. You've got people who are there by a quota and by no merit whatsoever. And you cannot run a government on quota. You simply can't. No, so anyway, you can't. let me know these shows. I want to, I want to be on. Uh, you know, make me a guest of honor. That'd be fun. And now our token white guy. <laughs> well, I can't make you a guest, but I'll get you the number. Okay, great. I'll get you the number in time. Okay. Jonathan, you want to join me? Or should I just do this on my own? Jonathan, are you game? What? You're a white guy. What? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, what? what? Where have you been? Well, you, he's probably doing other stuff. No, but I. No. Are you enjoying the radio show? No, we're going to go on. We're going to go on black shows where they call white people devils, and we're going to we're going to be white guys. I well, okay. I, I don't get the game plan, but okay. <laughs> okay. Um, he's going I'll explain it off the air. I'll explain it off the air. I mean, I've got, uh, you know, almost all my, and, and this, well, this is an interesting thing because mm-hmm. um, almost all of my roommates mm-hmm. in my entire life have been black. Mm-hmm. You say that, oh, wow. and they laugh at that. They say, oh, that's like, yeah, one of my best friends is. Some of my best friends is, are black. Yeah, exactly. Black. Even if they well, are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. What, what's wrong yeah. with that? Yeah. I, what is the you know how is that how is that uh, an answer to the lack of lack of racism and um, see my feeling is is that and and I saw this a lot with after nine eleven I went on there and helpfully just wanted because I, I I knew some some somewhat inside things about like um, Barbara Olson how. Uh, Barbara Altwell, she died on flight of 77. She was a conservative commentator, author, um, wife of Ted Olson, oh. the Solicitor General. And, and she was on, she was on, um, and she was a good friend of my, my sister and, and, and my brother-in-law at the time. And she was going out to tape the Los Angeles to tape Bill Maher. And at the last minute, she rescheduled her flight 
so that she could at least have breakfast with her husband, Ted, um, on his birthday before heading out to the, um, to the airport. And that was the Pennsylvania and flight, right? Or from Pennsylvania? No, that was 77? the Pennagon. Oh, okay. That was flight 77 hit the Pentagon. Well. And um, she managed to get, because they were flying low, coming in over West Virginia and along Columbia Pike towards the Pentagon, and she managed to get on the phone, although it kept cutting out. So she was able to talk to her husband, tell him what was going on. And, you know, of course, he was the Solicitor General of the Department of Justice, so he was Mm -hmm. able to get some attention to what was going on, although they, you know, at that point, it wasn't completely a secret, but he was able to pass along what was going on. It may have been part of the reason why, if you recall, the White House and Congress, um, everyone was scrambling to evacuate because they knew that Flight 77 was heading towards D.C., um, not just to, to New York. So anyway, I got on there, and people said, like, well, how would um, Ted Olson – I remember rambling too much here. I'm sorry, but – but how, how okay. would Ted Olson know to go on CNN and say these things? And I would respond to, well, let me tell you, because he came, you know, because he came home and found a note on the pillow. Um, you know, happy birthday. No. And all, all, of her, all of his friends went over to console him, including my brother-in-law, and including people she knew from CNN because she was a CNN commentator. And so one of the CNN people said, could I, um, I'm sorry, there's no short way to say it, to explain this, but, but so, okay. said, can I report, can I report this? And Ted Olson said, yes. So that's how it, so I, I just want to say, you know, that, you know if, you're, if you think it's a conspiracy theory because CNN reported it, here's what really happened. I got barraged with all of this hate and anger and anti-Semitism, and, and it just convinced me that, and I, I spent years arguing with these people after that, and, and it just convinced me that a racist needs to believe they're superior. So I do not believe it's possible to be a quiet racist. I believe there's there's oh, no wow. such thing. Oh wow! You know, I think I think that, I, I think that they have a psychological need to identify with a group to cover up their individual failures and individual insecurity and individual inadequacy by making them part of a group. And I don't think they can keep it to themselves. I think it is psychologically impossible for them to to keep it to themselves. They have to openly declare. Their, their racism or anti-Semitism. That's, that's my opinion. I have a question. Are you saying you support racism or are you saying that the way that they act and you don't like the, uh, the fact that they're so open with it? No, I mean, but the, the, theory, no, the, cause the, the theory is, is that there are people who are racist. I mean, most of those people were on the Internet and they are mostly from, from overseas. So I'm, I'm saying that the idea that there okay. are racists who are hidden, I believe there's no such thing as a hidden racist. 
they're out they, they, yeah. because because their reason for being racist is they need to prop up their sagging, you know, ego and self-esteem. So, so I, I think well, that, you know, the thing with 9-11 is just like you got with uh, the 2020 election. They want to pass laws whereas they damn near jail somebody who questioned the 2020 election. And I'm waiting on them to pass a law that they're going to jail somebody for questioning 9-11 whether it was an inside job or not. And there's legitimate questions there because people who know that business, you know, like I know steel erection very, 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 very well. And I'm saying that things that they say happen, from my experience nearly four decades, I'm saying it could not happen like that. I mean, that's all we're saying. It's well, I have, I, have no problem with questions. I, I have no problem with questions ever. But I was amazed at how much of the reaction was all, was all you know, the Jews, the, you know, the whites are the lost tribe of Israel, and the Jews are not real Israelites. And just, I mean, just the, the, the astonishing amount of hate. Like, what does this have to do with 9-11? I don't, I don't understand why... I just got flooded with all this stuff. So, you know, but questions are fine as far as, and I, of course I assume that the government is lying to us always, but. Um, yeah, so the show's about, yeah. I, I'm missing something here, Jonathan. So Barbara Olson was on board the flight that you're saying that was the one that hit the Pentagon. We've had people that have said that there's no wreckage from that, that you know, can't be shown, but you, you personally know people that were on that flight. So I missed that connection as to how that, that fits into all this here. First of all, thank you for sharing right. that story. It's obviously painful. Um, but, she went uh, into, but, I mean, I, mean I, I was at her, I was at her, her, well, what's the word? It's, it wasn't really, I guess, technically not a funeral. Memorial? No, yeah, a memorial with her family okay. there speaking. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I, I, the, the, the uh, I believe the, the wreckage went, first of all, there's a hill riser there. So some right. of the photographs don't show what's just beyond the little hill. Okay. And, and then most of the wreckage went at 500 miles an hour into the, into the Pentagon, like basically, you know, like a liquid at, at that speed. But, okay. But anyway, you know, how, about that? How, how does race play into this, though? Right. I, that, that's the amazing thing, is that, is that when you talk about 9-11, all the people wanted to do from around the world was talk about the Jews. Beats me how oh, I, know, I don't know how. Oh, I, I get it. So, I, so the I, Jews were behind 9-11? Is, is that seven. the excuse? Building number seven, that was a Jew that uh, I can't do Goldstein or something like that. It's held in the pool of the building. That's where that comes. That's where part of that comes in at. What, what, what would what would Jews have to do with 9/11? I mean, it was done. We hear from Claire Lopez that it was Iranians who used, who hired Saudi pilots, basically, you know, to come to this country, learn how to take off. And I was an instructor before this. Had I been an instructor during this, and I met one of these guys, I would I would have been over off to the FAA immediately. But who's to say whether they would have listened or not? But you've got Iranian-backed Saudi terrorists who come here, learn how to fly airplanes, but not to land them, and crash them into buildings. Okay, that we know. What we don't know is why the buildings collapsed, and we don't know what happened with Building 7 because no airplane hit it. Pentagon's in dispute. Right, but, 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 is it, but what's but my point is, is that, Yeah. Go ahead. And I'm sorry I wasn't able to do it quickly, but the point is, okay. is that 
We've got time. I don't. I mean, I don't know what race has to do with 9/11. But but, okay. but every, when I no, when I tried to get up there and say, here's what really happened with right. with Barbara Olson, they just got this flood of of anti-Semitic hate. Like, what does this have to do with anything? Was there so, a group you were so speaking I, before, or was this like CARE, or like, you know, uh, who was it, uh, I've forgotten her name, that talked about some people did something? Ilhan Omar, yeah. Thank you, yeah. You know, it was, I mean, who were you speaking before that, that uh, gave you such a violent reaction? No, I wasn't. It, it was all on the Internet. It was on back when they used to have listservs and chat groups. and and okay. um, Huh. I was and, um, but like I say, I my yeah. point is, is that my – it made me believe that, that one is incapable, a racist or an anti-Semite is incapable of shutting up. Okay, they, so they let's, are, go with, they, let's go with that. Let's, 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 let's figure this out here. Because we talk about race a lot on this show. And we have every race that you know, there's ever been, I think, on this show at one point or another. Uh, in fact, hopefully we get Dan uh, Skyhorse is actually coming back. So we get our American Indian representation. You know, but everybody's here. You know, and so, but we don't care. It's always been individuals. But Pastor John, you had a question. I think you were questioning uh, Jonathan. Uh, you had, did you ask him if he was a racist? I'll tell you right now. No. 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 <laughs> I the support. So, well, the thing, the it, it's it's not illegal to be a racist unless you violate somebody's civil rights. Because the definition of relate of a racist has expanded okay. into a, a wide, broad unrecognizable in the 60s definition. You know, we always say that the left is forever creating new words and new definitions. Right. Well, let's get Jonathan on this. This is an interesting question. So in other words, if a person's a racist, and even if they're loud about it, you know, who cares? They're just an idiot. If their hiring is based on racism, if they're in a government position based on racism, if they're in the military based on racism, if they're doing anything that violates people's civil rights for things that we are entitled to as citizens of this country, now it's a problem. So where, where, do, where do we, you know, there's like legal racism and illegal racism. Oh, this will be an interesting topic. Jonathan? Well, that, that is the law. And, you know, but even in the law, the idea has been, for example, um, you know, Nobody, nobody said or did anything racist, but it was like implicit. It was hidden. It was, you know, right. it, we know what it really meant. Yeah. And my, my experiences are saying there's no such thing. Okay. If, if um, you know, th- there, there is no racist, in my opinion, who can, who can bite their tongue and keep it to themselves because they're filling a psychological need to fill up their own inadequacy. But why does that come out in racism? I'm just curious. Because because they when you listen to these people, right. they identify as a group. They think that whites are going to heaven as a group, not based on their individual sin. Oh, that's interesting. They believe they're going to be judged on their group membership. Mm-hmm. So they're grasping onto the group as a life raft. Mm-hmm. You know, they know that if they stand on their own merits, they're going to hell. You just had a white lady. You just had a white lady sentenced for 15 years because she was drunk and called a black girl nigger. She was drunk. When, when was this? I'm not familiar with this case. It's out there. But okay. see, all I, the 4,875 blacks that were shot by other blacks, you mean to tell me 
that none of the shooters called the victim a nigger? Mm. Yeah, well, they, they, I mean, saying things, it used to be that saying things is, you know, is, I mean, the, the Supreme Court has said officially that the answer to bad speech, and they're saying it's bad speech, is more speech. But we don't believe mm. that anymore. We do on this show. You know, we take on, I think, some of the most controversial topics and, and happily do so because that's how we resolve things. How can we make good legislation, citizen legislation, if we don't consider the most controversial things? You know, and this is, this is fascinating. So I guess the difference is between individual racism and racism where you have power over, you actually have power. So let's bring up affirmative action and this new plan of Obama uh, to basically purge the government of straight white guys. You know, this is a big problem. Everything is related to affirmative action. I was reading something from this Revolver article about contracts. You can't get a government contract if you don't you know, have all the employees by quota or they do a certain amount of work. You have to have a certain amount of disabil- disabled people doing a certain amount of work. Well, that's insane. And what are you going to do? Take people who are legally blind and, and uh, you know, make them do the you know, graphic design? Please. Budovich said there's too many white males on construction sites. <laughs> He's a yeah, as he walks yeah. with a bunch of, you know, well, he, yeah, he says he want to have people look like the community. What if the community is white? <laughs> but you don't, I don't, but this, it's like this idea that you have to have a certain representation, you know, for everything. And, and I use the example before of, of you look at Olympic athletes, you know, how many black swimmers and how many white basketball players. People are different. Individuals have different qualities. You know, there's still a Larry Bird and there's still, a, you know, a, I think of a black swimmer right now. Point being, you can't go by anything except individuality because everybody, you know, has their own individual qualities. And there's never been a time when individuals couldn't rise, despite the, the worst of oppression. You know, certain people have risen and done amazing things despite horrible mm-hmm. odds against them. Which well, I mandated. And what, what, what got go me ahead. off on this, this rabbit trail, and I didn't think uh-huh. it was going to take that long. Because no, that's okay. This it, is, it, I it, like it, rabbit trails. You know, if I say all my... All my roommates, or almost all my roommates, have been black mm-hmm. for decades, mm-hmm. and that doesn't, you know, and that like gets a scoff. And I'd like to know why, you know, I, I don't know if we've scared the pastor away, but um, no, he's still here. You know, wh- why, <laughs> why, why is it to say like you're racist? Like, well, no, I hang around with black people all the time. We get along great, and yet that's, you know, somehow that doesn't count and and is considered the, a worse sin than the original charge of being racist. Pastor Don? I know you're there. Yes, sir. I'm right here. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, I mean, wh- why is it that some of my... I can't, I, I can't negative neg- well, let's take the classic statement. You know, white guy says some of my best friends are black. Why would they say that? Because they're feeling guilty? Because they want to prove they're not racist? Maybe they, maybe some of their best, you know, many of the best friends are black. It doesn't, mm. but there's, there's all these different connotations to this one well, statement. Hey, but this is what I'm getting at. This is, in, this, my industry, you know, in my industry, my best friends were white. Okay. But, but somehow it's considered to be the worst kind of racism, worse than anything else to say some of my best friends are black. And, and I also ask that question. 
they, they think you're lying. Let's, let's ask Pastor Don and Pianchi. Is that the impression that when a white guy says, you know, most of my or a lot of my best friends are black, do, do black folks think that he's lying or just trying to appear not a racist when they really are a racist? Because that's the impression I get. Who wants that? You got that one, Pianchi. Uh, no, nah, <laughs> Pastor, you're ducking out on all the tough <laughs> yeah. questions. I'm you're not on the wrong show if you want to duck the tough questions. That's, that's because you got oh, you got black you got you got black leaders out there that wants to create a separate black nation. They don't want whites and blacks. They don't want whites teaching black educational content. But if it's the same information, who cares? I mean, the Constitution doesn't change if a black person reads it or a white person reads it. You know, this is, I don't understand this. Look, look at the show. We've got two black guys. We've got two white guys. Probably should get some women on the show. But, I mean, okay. you know, and we're, we can talk about all this stuff. So, does, in fact, Pianchi, remember this? We actually raised this before. Does the Constitution read differently if a black person reads it or if a white person reads it? Of course, the answer is no. It's the same words. Black kids are told that the Constitution wasn't meant for you. And that's the idiot, mm. idiocy that's taught to these kids. Okay. And I yeah, have experienced that. that with kids personally. I've experienced that personally, and I hear it all the time. Hmm. These people are totally ridiculous and crazy. Al Sharpton, when you had the summit, the Black History Summit at the White House, hosted by Donald Trump, Sharpton got on CNN and just ridiculed those kids up and down. You had Roland Martin in the back room, the last row over in the corner, with his collar up around his ears so he couldn't be recognized. He was spying on the whole damn thing. Hmm. Interesting. Well, Bianchi's I'll, right. I mean, that's that's yeah. what they're, they're taught. They're taught that the Declaration of Independence is only for white men, not women, not other colors. And the same with the Constitution. I've heard that crap since I got to this country. You know, that the Constitution says that there's white male property owners. I have never, in any founding document, I've read a lot of them. I've never seen the word, I've never seen the word white. I've never seen the word male. I've never seen the word property owner in any founding document as a classification for any right, privilege, you know, uh, effect or, or governance or, or coverage or anything. It's just not there. And here's yeah. the point. They don't, these blacks don't have no place to go. Hmm. They say they ain't wanted in the United States. Well, Africans got rid of your ancestors. They don't want, they, say, they want to say whites went into the continent and stole. That's literally logistically impossible. It's just mm-hmm. like Angela Davis. <laughs> just recently, Bill Gates found out. This is really funny. Go ahead, Bianchi. Her ancestors were some of the first settlers that came here to the United States, and her family members had slaves. Angela Davis, the, the Marxist you should give a, black you should power. Give a, wow. <laughs> you should give a brief history of Angela Davis. We've got our, our Netherlands friend listening in and some other folks around the, around the world, it looks like. So, yeah, if you give a brief history of Angela Davis's stellar career for humanity. Yeah, she didn't want to admit it. She didn't want to. No, 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 no. That's what she said. Your ancestors was white settlers. And your ancestors had black slaves. So how is it that you, so listening to you talk, what you're saying is that you hate part of your own biological makeup. And by the way, you don't get no reparations of anything you owe. 
But wait a minute. If you're if you have white ancestors and you're black, don't you have to pay reparations to yourself? I'm sorry. I'm just being silly. Sorry, Pastor John. It's one of those days. <laughs> we, we we illustrate the absurd by being absurd, uh, and so. Uh, but this you're is right. fascinating. So, well, I, I make the joke too. I said, "Look, my my ancestors are Athenian Greeks. Okay, Spartans." murdered, you know, most of my ancestors. So I need, I need reparations from Sparta. Okay. So we're talking what, 300 BC, you know, so we're talking a long time ago. So if, if you take the compound interest, you know, from 300 BC to what the Spartans owe, you know, my ancestors, and of course there's a lot of descendants by now too. So we're talking a sizable sum of money. This could be a major fortune. <laughs> Illustrating by being. Wow. Yeah. 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 So I, which, which I, you know, I, I think that, uh, and the, mo- the what little more I learn, I, I tend to think that the original idea of reparations maybe made mm-hmm. sense hmm. because you had all these freed uh, black slaves wandering mm-hmm. around the Carolinas and the Carolina coast, and the Republican general didn't, you know, know what to do with it, with mm-hmm. them. So he said, uh, okay, let's seize the manor houses and the manor plantations, distribute it to these, these uh, people. And that's apparently where the uh, 40 acres and a mule came from. Hmm. And that's a lot of land, by the way, was, 40 acres. Have you ever seen you, you can run a small farm on that. Well, that was the idea. It was, well, it was a small really. business. It, in an agricultural economy, that was a small business. Mm-hmm. You know, the, that was a well, family business. Actually, I mean, I, I don't know. Forty acres doesn't sound like a lot to me, but I'm sure it looks like a lot when you actually um, walk it. But will you farm it with a mule? Um, <laughs> you have to plow it with a mule. It's going to be big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know about a mule. Well, that, was I, not, but, that was not totally true. Here's the thing. Go ahead, Bianchi. Kukuma Sherman and and. Uh, Secretary of War Stanton. They wanted to give the land that whites abandoned when the Union troops came to the South. Hmm, that's interesting. There was no mule included in it. That's something that has became a slogan. But here's huh. the point: How are you gonna give away Indian land? The land belonged to the Indians. It belonged to the Cherokee, the Choctaw, and the Creek. The land yeah, that formed the five southern states, the land that formed the five southern states belonged uh-huh. to the Indians. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think my, right, exactly. And I think my, you know, my reaction, the more I, I look at it is, it is not on principle, but on practicality that it's a problem. Now, you know that the government owns like, I don't know what, depending on the state, 50 to 60% of the land in the Western states. Well, and I think they, they, just, they fought the, they fought the range war with the Bundys over that. Yep. And um, you know, so my reaction is like, well, sure, let's take all the land that the government owns that they're not using, and and distribute it to um, ancestors of or what not as um, descendants of slaves. Oh my God, the left would go nuts over that. Because they, they want the government to own like 80% of Arizona and, and all these things. Now, a lot of that land wouldn't be terribly useful, but if you give enough of it and they were to sell it, 
you know, maybe sell the rights to a developer or something like that. It'd be worth something. But the government. Well, two things. One, we proved that that, that state land, that's actually state land out there. We had Roger Roots on the show. It's it's a great show. We spent two hours doing that. But the second thing is you cannot pay reparations to people that weren't victims. You can't give reparations to this. We'll get some background noise. Is that you, Pastor Don? (laughs) Let's give her the background noise. But you cannot... You cannot give reparations. It's like affirmative action. Affirmative action doesn't work because you're rewarding people that were neither perpetrators nor victims. I'm going to mute your line. I'm going to see if I do that. Here we go. Okay. So affirmative action is a racist policy, and it is wrong simply because you're rewarding people today and you're punishing people today who are neither you know, uh, guilty of, of racist hiring nor victims of it. You know, ever since the Civil Rights Act, the yeah, same thing with reparations. You, you cannot give reparations to people that were not slaves if it's reparation based on slavery. This genetic transfer gene, you know, down to the – that's a bunch of nonsense. Everybody's an individual starting so off basically with a clean slate. Go ahead, Pam. How are you going to give reparations to somebody for something that wasn't illegal? Well, that's it a good wasn't question illegal. Too. Yeah. Jonathan? Then, too, you got these schemes down uh-huh. where you spot black kids. Black mm-hmm. kids sitting at Harvard and Yale getting ready to take a college entrance exam in mm-hmm. other colleges. You spot mm-hmm. them 310 points before they sit down to take the test. Now, so, my question is, yeah. what is that telling my grandson? What is that telling my grandson who don't participate in nothing like that? If he scores a 94 on his entrance exam at LSU like he did, he didn't get no 310 points. He's black. Right. Well, I mean, it, it um, I mean, I think the government should do things to help people in need in it, to a certain extent. I mean, consistent with other policies. Or what? But, oh, well, give them a good education, give them, mm-hmm. you know, an opportunity. But, but, but it's like, so you're going to give reparations to Bob Johnson, the founder of Blackout Entertainment Television, who before <laughs> his divorce is worth a billion dollars. Oh, wow. What's he worth I now? Mean, he, he's a billionaire. <laughs> Yeah. So he's going to get reparations. I mean, if someone, I mean, if if someone is begging on the street or something, I hope that somebody, government, whatever, helps them, but not because of their skin color. Um, Anyway, so um, so I think that reparations, the more I learn about, makes sense in say 1875, 1870, 1875. But now I just don't know how you do it. And, and, of course, then what happened is they had the great elections um, steal mm-hmm. in 1876, and the, um, the entire country was in paralysis for, like, four months. Um, of course, what happened on Jan- January 6th, well, that's never happened before, except it changed the course of our nation in 1876. And they mm-hmm. finally came up with this compromise in 1876, seven, when uh, the North had to pull out of the South, and um, you know they, they let let a Republican become president if the if the if the Northern government would abandon the South, and so what happened is is that all of Reconstruction collapsed. Everything that was being done for the slaves collapsed. We got we got Jim Crow. We got KKK because of a great electoral college. Um, dispute it never happens. It's never happened before Trump. 
Yeah, but no, Jim I'm... Crow was not federally inspired. It wasn't. That was no. not a federal issue. Matter of fact, the federal no, I mean, government never profited off of slavery. Can't no, I mean, show when the federal government profited off of slavery. But when the Northern armies uh, left the South, it left the Southern states to do whatever they wanted. And that was a good thing because they had states' rights. You know, it's missing from the argument all the time, and you never hear about this. And, Don, you still got background noise, so I had to mute you again. Um, is that the Democrats, it was the Democrat Party that made up the Confederacy. Everybody forgets this. It was the Democrats that created the Ku Klux Klan. It was the Democrat institutions that actually probably brought slavery or, or maintained slavery in this country. It was the Democrat Party that maintained segregation and, and filibustered the Civil Rights Act. It's the Democrat Party today that is still breaking people up into racial groups, racial identities, and trying to cause all kinds of mayhem through their own thing. What is it about Democrats that they are so obsessed with race back to the founding of our country that they've caused a civil war? You know, you, know, you could say the Democrat Party caused a civil war that seceded and, and tried to break up the union, that did all these different things, and yet they're never held accountable for any of that. Why isn't the Democrat Party an anti-American terrorist hate group, given their history since our founding, especially through the Confederacy and segregation and everything else? Well, there's two criteria that uh, get black vote. One, the D in front of the name, and second is the skin color. Any, anyone else want to take that on? I've okay. been talking about it all yeah. week. You know, I find myself <laughs> in argument with white. Well, white person won't tell you. me and I'm a slave. Oh, I think it's a question tell that... me I'm a slave, and I tell them I'm not. You ought to hear those arguments. I wish. I, I think it's a hey, question look. best left hanging. Okay. All right. Well, let's get you another one. Here's one I just wrote down, one of my talking points for today. Um, does diversity kill? If you look at the idiocracy that's running our government right now and what happened with East Palestine, you know, we got a bunch of people who are going to be killed because they had toxic fumes in the air, because it was not handled properly. They didn't drain those cars and, and uh, properly dispose of the chemicals. They're in the groundwater. They're in the regular water. They're in the air. They're everywhere else. And we've got a diversity person at the head of uh, transportation. He's there because he married a dude. So does, does diversity ultimately kill people? Ooh, there's a question. Sometimes. Panel? Okay. So, sometimes. All right. How about doctors? How about having different, have a, a certain amount of skin colors for, for doctors? How about airline pilots? You know, how about anything else? Anything that's a, a safety issue? How about truckers on the road? Should, they, should a certain amount of truckers be under five feet high just to make sure that, uh, you know, we, we have the, the, the height-challenged people adequately represented in the trucking industry, even though I can't see over the front of the, of the truck? I mean, this gets absurd. But I think diversity actually does kill. Don, I got to mute your line again. You've got to you've got to find a way to uh, mute yourself when you're not talking. Uh, otherwise, I have to do it, and then I don't know when you want to talk. So, does diversity kill? I think it does, and it creates idiocracies in government. It's actually dangerous to be on a non-merit system, and that goes for immigration, that goes for for hiring, that goes for schools, that goes for everything. We can pick this up on the time. We're gonna talk. Anyway, about I gotta I gotta Go cut off even though I'm only uh, even though I'm well, done anyway. two minutes. In. Right. Okay. We'll talk to you later then. Thank you, sir. All right. Sorry. Thanks.
No, don't worry about it. Listen, you've been on almost two hours. Believe me, I appreciate you being on here. Let's see if we can get Don back in uh, Pianchi. We need to close this up a little bit. Gentlemen, does diversity kill? Is it more dangerous than it is worthwhile? Well, yeah, it I think people should be kind of the meritocracy. Okay, let's go Pianchi and then Don. Pianchi? People should be hired on their merits. Mm-hmm. On their merits. So why would there be anything else? Why would anybody think that you have to hire by group? This makes no sense to me, too. That's what the Democrats do. They try to get points. They try to bamboozle blacks and vote for them. And anyone else, they fall into these particular subjects. I wonder sometimes if we wouldn't be much better off without a Democrat Party, because, you know, the last time they did anything good was probably John Kennedy. Ever since then, it's been I don't think it's basically the party. I think it's the mindset. Okay. It's the mind. It's the ideological content of these people's minds. And that makes the difference. Now, how they attain those ideas and that, I don't know. It's a mystery to the point where you want to say they're aliens. <laughs> well, we'll keep working on it. Um, Pastor Don, you get the last word. Do you want to uh, anything you want to toss in here, and then we'll pick it up again tomorrow? Okay, I, I want to say this. Uh, first off, I do a. Are you still there? Hello. Where'd you go? Pianchi, you still there? probably grabbed it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wanted to say something about My the. About the oh, now he's back. All right. Pass it down then, Pianchi. Don, okay, I can talk this with you. I can yeah, talk yeah. this with you. There's no way in the world a plane going to be flying down at that elevation, 500 miles an hour, a, 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 a commercial airliner, just above, just above light standards. The light standards in front of the Pentagon was not knocked down. What are they, about 16, 15, 20 feet? No jetliner is going to be flying at that elevation, holding that type of trajectory, flying that fast. It's impossible. We need to look into this more because uh, now we have, uh, and like I said, nothing against Jonathan. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I need to know more about this. But uh, from what I've seen, there's no wreckage. Jonathan says it's hiding behind, and the plane kind of liquefied when it went through the Pentagon. It's a pretty strong building. <laughs> there's a lot of concrete there. There would be Titanium something. Titanium don't liquefy, brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, don't liquefy. How much? A lot of it would have been aluminum too. Uh, aircraft aluminum would be most of the construction. There's not that much titanium. The landing gear. Yeah. Okay. The landing gear. Uh-huh. But the landing gear had no. Would have had the wheels on them. The rubber tires. Yeah. Yep. And and the tail's always left. <laughs> you always find the tail, no matter what happens at an airliner. The tail's always there. How come the tails didn't fall off when they when they crashed in the World Trade Center? That's another question. We've done shows on this. What I want to pick to up the, more. Uh, what happened to the other plane that went in? Was it Shake Shaft, Shake someplace? That put a little oh, dent in the ground, no debris or nothing? Yeah, that's impossible. We need to talk about 9-11 because the problem with 9-11, now if they hadn't done the Patriot Act and they hadn't done all these repressive things that the deep state really wanted to kick in, I don't think I'd have a, a, a problem with the government's explanation. It's because they were so quick with all these new laws that, that stripped our freedoms and gave them surveillance powers and gave them all kinds of unprecedented things. Where, this is why we need another church committee hearing on the intelligence community. You know, to find what the, I wouldn't even say community. The intelligence regime 
um, dic- the dictatoriate, you know, whatever they're doing. This is when you need to look into them. But we can talk about 9-11 again. And you want to bring it up with Jonathan? That's fine. But I don't want to – this is obviously an upsetting topic. But I think we can talk about it sometime. And I think we should, again. And let's get some more details. Pastor Don, one more time, then I'm going to close it up. I'm just like, man, wow, y'all talking some great stuff today. With that being said, I, I got to call some through. I got to grab this. Y'all have a great day. Okay, grab your call. Hey, Thanks. share our show, share our bills, and we talk about stuff like this every day. <clears throat> oh, he's playing music on us now. Should we play his call on the air? I think he put us on hold, Bianchi. Bye, Don. <laughs> have you ever had that happen? He, he actually gave us the, the, the music button. <laughs> that was funny. All right, sir. This has been a great show. We've covered a lot of ground, a lot of very interesting ground, none of which I had planned, which is my favorite way to do it. Pianchi's gone, too. <clears throat> Looks like it's just me. <laughs> okay, everybody. Um, our website for the show, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our legislative website is uh, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Uh, goodbye to my friend in, uh, in the, the Netherlands. Hope we hear you joining us again and get on the Skype line. You can, you can call the show, um, unless you're at work, <laughs> which is, might be more difficult. Tomorrow, again, just a regular day, Brianna Cannon starts us off with the government inquiry report, uh, Jesse Cassie with uh, the Latina report, and that's at the second hour at 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock. I have no idea. <laughs> I'll probably cover uh, you know, the great uh, – uh, the, the, white, the white purge of the, uh, the Brandon regime by Obama's third term. So what do we do? What do we do best? I have a couple things to play for you. I have a musical selection for today, and then we'll do it again tomorrow, 7 a.m. Central Time. Thank you for listening. Let me just make sure where I am, and we'll start with this, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of MyPillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. MyPillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. 
This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.